easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. everybody welcome in it is the justin kinner show here on a tuesday the justin kinner show with kev nash on dayton's espn radio station 1410 wing am listen stream and now watch you can listen at 1410 uh, wing am you can stream at wingam.com and of course you can watch us now listen stream and watch watch us on facebook again search the justin kinner show on facebook follow along you could watch the show interact with the show again every time you comment uh, we pull your comments right into the show you get to show off your little Facebook profile picture. It's a lot of fun. Or, of course, you can call into the show at 457-9464. We try to be as interactive as possible. We've taken more of a shift towards the social media side of things. So if you want to get your opinion heard on the show, head to Facebook, search The Justin Kinner Show. You can also follow along on Twitter at 1410Kinner, K-I-N-N-E-R, and then follow Mr. Kev Nash at 1KevNash on Twitter. That's me. I've been getting it right, right? Like, it's yes. been tagging you on the little show posts and everything. You've been Absolutely. You've been alerted. That's all that matters. All right. We got a lot to get into today. We're going to open up with some college football talk here. Uh, we're going to talk a little Ohio State Buckeyes. We're also going to talk about what the college football landscape is going to look like by the time the Buckeyes kick off a few weeks <laughs> from now. Um, you may think, oh, not a whole lot's going to change. There are going to be quite a few teams that have a, a leap start. They're going to have a jump start on the season, and not just from a kickoff standpoint, but from a college football playoff resume standpoint. So I'm going to take a look at that as we open things up. We're going to get into our Cincinnati Reds discussion right now. Again, we are less than 24 hours away from the Reds' first pitch in the playoffs. Again, Reds, Braves, MLB, NL Central, or NL Wildcard, uh, NL Wildcard round, I should say. The Reds have not been in the playoffs in seven years, and that drought will come to an end uh, tomorrow at noon. And, of course, you can catch that right here on Dayton's Home of the Reds, 1410 ESPN Radio, 1130 the pregame. And then, of course, right at noon will be the first pitch. And, again, here's the Reds pitching lineup for the week, uh, the rotation, I should say, for uh, this opening round series against the Atlanta Braves. Of course, you have Trevor Bauer pitching in Game 1, Luis Castillo pitching in Game 2, Sonny Gray in Game 3. I put this out on Facebook earlier today, and we talked, we touched on it on the show yesterday. This wasn't a big critique. It got a lot of attention on the page. I wasn't trying to start a debate. I know I'm good at starting the debate thing. You know, I'm good <laughs> at having these takes that just irritate people. My only critique would be in a three-game series versus, again, this is a different approach. If this was a seven-game series, I would not have this opinion. If this was a one-game wild card, I would not have this opinion. But in a three-game series, when game two is automatically an elimination game, whether it's your team about to be eliminated or you are about to eliminate your opponent – 
it's an automatically an elimination game. And I think game two is the most stressful of the three games when it comes down to it. Uh, game one, they have Trevor Bauer on the mound. I would have flip-flopped it. For me personally, I would have preferred to have Luis Castillo on the mound for his very first game ever in the playoffs because I feel pretty good that if Luis Castillo kind of stubs his toe in his very first ever playoff game because of the pressure or whatever it is, I feel pretty good that the potential Cy Young winner in the National League and Trevor Bauer would be right there to save the day in game two to force that game three with Sonny Gray on the mound coming up on Friday if it comes to that. Now, you know, if Trevor Bauer, let's say tomorrow, pitches a gem of a game, but all of a sudden the Reds lineup doesn't show up. And the Reds pick up a loss, even with Trevor Bauer on the mound. That sets up an an elimination game. So now Luis Castillo faces all this pressure of pitching in his very first playoff game. And he's also trying to make sure that his team gets the win. Again, it's not a big deal. It was just a different approach to it. Than, you know, than, than most people. However, keep in mind, the Reds, the reason I feel like they're in best shape to win this series, in fact, I have them getting all the way to the National League Championship Series, which we'll talk about around the corner, it's because of these three guys right here. Again, if you're watching live uh, on Facebook, it's these three guys right here. If you could see the graphic, Trevor Bauer, Luis Castillo, and Sonny Gray. So Reds and Braves tomorrow, noon, first pitch, 11.30 the pregame, all right here on 1410 ESPN Radio. All right, Kev, we're going to open up with a little college football talk. And real quick, by the way, I'm going to go to the Facebook uh, uh, the Facebook chat real quick. Uh, David Shaw, uh, he says, uh, Bauer is the number one. The number one goes in game one, just my opinion. No, I, I completely get that. I completely get that. That's why I said in game seven, er, a, a seven-game series, pitcher number one guy. Uh, and if it's a one-game playoff, a one-game wild card, like pitcher number one guy. All I'm saying is, is, Bauer's the number one guy. I'm not against him pitching tomorrow. I just would have preferred to flip-flop it. That's all. Luis Castillo, if the Reds lose tomorrow with Trevor Bauer on the mound, that's a lot of pressure for Luis Castillo to face in his, not just, you know, in the playoffs, but his very first playoff game. But, David Shaw, you're not wrong. That's the that's the norm. That's the popular opinion is, yes, you start your best guy. But let's be clear. Luis Castillo's ERA is pretty much dead even with Trevor Bowers in the month of October, or in the month of September. Trevor Bauer ended up getting the September Player of the Month. Uh, but if you look at his numbers and, and uh, Luis Castillo's numbers in the month of September, Luis Castillo's numbers are more inflated than Trevor Bowers. But in the month of September, the, both have got, both guys have been unhittable. So that's all. I, I don't think you could have gone wrong with either. But David, I agree. I don't think you can go wrong with either one at this point. All right, we're going to shift gears, uh, talk a little Ohio State football. Ohio State will kick off the season on October 24th, and we now know um, if we... One more time. Got to go back to the Facebook feed. David Shaw says, if Reds lose tomorrow, I'd pitch Gray in Game 2 for exactly what you were saying. Fair enough. You have veteran pitcher in Sonny Gray, too. Uh, Again, what David Bell has here is flexibility, and it's because of the talent of those three guys. Back to college football. Ohio State kicks off their season uh, on October 24th. They have Nebraska. Uh, what time do they play? Noon, we don't even know. Baby. Oh, yeah, we do know. We do know now. Uh, it's, it's a noon kickoff. Fox has just been, I mean, they've been waiting. for. They, they, just, they are desperate for Ohio State Big Ten football to, get, to finally kick off, right? They wasted no time in announcing what the October 24th Big Noon kickoff game is going to be. It'll be Ohio State and Nebraska. How good of a game it will be, I'm not, I don't think fans care. I think they just want to see the Scarlet and Gray out on the field. I think we are all used to watching Buckeye games that are pretty much over by the end of the first quarter anyways. I think that that's what this has uh, all the makings of. But what interests me more about anything, Kev, is the state of college football by the time we get there. That's still quite a few weeks. I mean, we're just now wrapping up September. Mm -hmm. It's not even October yet. And the Buckeyes don't kick off till pretty much the end of October on the 24th. The SEC just kicked off last weekend. 
I think that, I mean, the landscape of college football is going to be drastically different by the time Ohio State finally takes the field at the shoe on the 24th against Nebraska. So I started looking at this, okay? And again, resumes mean nothing technically in the eyes of most. I'm trying to beat a lot of the guys to the punch on Facebook and the callers on this, Kev, because everyone's going to say that the AP poll does not matter. Um, regardless of your opinion of the AP poll, I do believe it does kind of matter for this reason, Kev. It's a good starting point. You think the college football playoff, you know, where are they, they kind of know who the top teams are. The AP is a pretty good reflection of who the top teams are. And usually, how are we ranking the college football playoffs? What's the criteria that we're using? What do we hear the committee say all the time? How many top 25 wins do you have? Well, where are those top 25s coming from? They're coming from the AP. Now, again, a couple of weeks into the college football playoff poll being released, then you're talking about how many top 25s within the, the college football playoff poll. But that very first college football playoff poll that comes out, on a normal year, we would be bragging about Ohio State's top 25 wins, Penn State in week two, this and that. We'd be bragging about that. You have the right to. Mm. But guess who's also going to have that right come college football playoff time when that poll comes out a few weeks later? Ohio State will end up having one top 25 matchup in Penn State by the time you get there. Alabama's going to have five. Clemson's going to have two. Um, oh, hold on. I have the whole list right here. Clemson's going to have two. Florida will have three by that point. Um, Georgia will have Auburn. Texas will have Oklahoma. Uh, again, so quite a few teams will have one, but there's going to be quite a few teams that have a good jump start onto the season. Ohio State will be in that first college football playoff poll. What I worry about is if the tables were reversed, Ohio State would be pretty frustrated with certain teams making the playoff that played significantly less games and significantly less talented teams, Ohio State's going to get the rub just because they are Ohio State and they deserve that. That's a right that's been earned and plus this roster's good. You know what you're getting. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is that the college football landscape is going to have such a huge jump start on Ohio State that their margin for error as we've talked about, it is beyond slim. Yeah, for sure. Uh, their margin for error is very low this year, but with the amount of talent and the amount of practice time that everybody's putting in with the Buckeyes and I mean, I know it's just social media, but from everything that the players and the staff are saying about what's going on up at the Woody, the guys are taking it very serious. They're not doing anything besides eating, breathing football. No contact with the outside world that doesn't involve the football team. That's one of the main reasons I'm worried about the actual season. We see what's going on with Notre Dame. Obviously, everything that's going on in the NFL with the Titans. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But as far as the Buckeyes concerned, I think they have a. I think Coach Day is going to spin it to an advantage for them. We get to see what they're doing. We get to see what everybody else is, how they are handling a COVID world. And the upsets that happen, you have something to point at. See? See what they did? See what Mississippi State did to defend the champs? We got to be ready to play. They weren't ready to play. You see, uh, to say Alabama has a close game with team so-and-so. See? They weren't ready. We got to be ready. So they have three weeks to watch everybody else. Well, more than three weeks. But they have three more weeks to watch everybody else play football to see their mistakes. Yep. And I know Coach Day is going to spin it into the to a point where it's going to work into our favor. So I'm really not even worried about it because I, I'm very confident that they're going to take care of business and we're going to be exactly where we want to be, which is back in the college football playoff. 
I agree. And you talked about some of those distractions off the field. Ohio State's taking it serious. But let's be clear. I think what we all know about college football is, yes, the Power Fives are the only ones that really have a true shot at qualifying for the college football playoff just based on the strength of schedules. And some of those aren't even by putting them together in the non-conference. It's just basically the opponents you face within your conference present mm-hmm. to you a schedule that if you go undefeated, you're at least going to be in the conversation right. for that. Um, but what about the teams that really don't have college football playoff expectations. How serious are they going to take this? We talked about this in the NBA bubble. Like, okay, the teams that are coming in, my concern at the beginning was... Well, we know that the Lakers and the Clippers and some of the Bucks and the teams that we circled as title contenders, we knew they were going to take this serious. Of course, I say that, but the Clippers had you know the Lou Williams thing and others. But like, <laughs> what about the teams that they know that they're just being force-fed into this bubble so that they can get Zion Williams into the bubble and and some of the others? Would they take it as serious because it's like, well, we don't even have a shot to win a championship. So if we end up getting ousted of this bubble because we went to have a little fun time or we try to sneak someone in, then so be it. Well. That's a realistic thing that college football is going to face, too. You look at Purdue. Purdue Mm -hmm. is a program that, you know what? It's fun to play football. They want to play football. But they're really just playing for a bowl game at this point, which it was announced today that all 41 bowl games are going to be attempted to be played this season. So I found that interesting as far as that's concerned. But Purdue today announced that they have suspended 13 in non-fall sports for residence hall party. Again, there's no names of the athletes that have been released. Uh, We don't even know if they're football players or not. But it's just the point that, again... Kids are being kids. These, Absolutely. you know, these college kids. I call them adults. College adult, you know, college students are being college students. Is what we did in college. I, you know, I can't tell you how disciplined I would be at 18 years old, being told, "Hey, you got to go to college. You got to live in dorms, but don't go around nobody. Don't talk to nobody. Don't touch nobody. Just stay away from me." Probably things you don't touch anybody anyway. But <laughs> you see my point. Um, and now you're asking these kids, you know, as college students, to do that. And Purdue already finds themselves in that situation. But, yeah, so Purdue suspends 13 in non-fall sports uh, for residents. So I guess they're non-fall sports athletes, I guess. But, again, it's just the point that – But still. Let's be clear. It could include fall sports athletes. It could include football. We're seeing other sports and other things being swept under the rug. Why not here? They're trying to control the narrative. But to your point, this is the kind of thing that can get Ohio State or anybody in trouble. Right. I just I do trust Ryan Day and the Buckeyes that they fought really hard to get this season. They fought really hard to still have a chance to win the championship, which they truly feel that they are good enough to do. We all believe that as well. I yeah, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but I feel like they're locked in just like you've talked about. Yeah, they're locked in, but as we know about this virus you could be doing everything in your own power to stay safe and wash your hands and stay away from people, wear a mask, yada, 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 and still come down with the virus. And speaking it strictly from a Big Ten perspective, if you test positive for COVID, you're out for three weeks. Yep. That's three games, 21 days. And there's no telling what can happen from a season. Like you talked about with the NBA, we can't take it for granted that teams like that were out of the playoffs like Portland – took it serious and, and, and played hard basketball. Teams like uh, the Suns, Devin Booker and the Suns, they won all eight of their regular season games to to even make it competitive in the bubble. And then you had other teams going through the motions. So we don't know. We don't know who's going to be taking it serious and who's not going to be taking it serious. We believe that uh, the Ohio States of the world, the Penn States of the world, are going to take it serious because they believe they have – uh, goal at the end of the road, but like you said, we don't know what's going on with these. I don't want to call them lesser teams, but these these smaller teams that really don't not as much continue. to play for. Yeah, they don't have as much to play for. They don't have as much to lose as the Ohio State. The Ohio State Buckeyes. We have a championship aspirations. A lot of guys want to put more film out there for the NFL scouts. 
do the Rutgers players feel that way? Do the Indiana players feel that way? We just don't know. And that's the crazy thing about it. That's why Minnesota Vikings are being quarantined as well because positive tests have been revealed in the Titans, but they played them. So, hey, they could have been doing everything right, and now they're in the same boat. So that can happen to the Buckeyes as well. It's It's a strange situation that we're dealing with. But all right, we can do right now is just hope that everybody is remaining masked up, marching their hands, staying six feet apart, and hopefully this season can continue. But for the main part of the football aspect, I like our chances. I like the way it lays out. I mean, ideal world, we would want to be playing every Saturday as scheduled. But since they're starting in about three weeks, they get to lay in the woods and watch everything play itself out and pounce. Yeah, and keep in mind, too, that so some other notes around college football. Notre Dame had, I think, 13 or 18 players test positive uh, mm-hmm. from Monday's test. I think over just under 300 tests uh, that were given. About 18 of them have tested positive. They're already in isolation. I don't know what that means for Notre Dame's games coming up. Or what's that, what does that mean for their opponents? Keep in mind, you look at Houston, a team that we <laughs> would consider. Uh, not a t- That's a team we would circle and say, okay, we're not going to pay too much, a close, you know, uh, too much attention to Houston. They haven't had just one game postponed due to the virus not even two not three not four <laughs> but all five games this month for houston houston not even kicked off yet and Crazy. their conference has kicked off they're good they're okay to kick off yeah. it's been their opponents they've had the the worst luck and i can't tell you by the way football's a, an amazing sport practices suck yeah practices are only tolerable because that's how rewarding game day is I can't imagine going through the month of prep for the season and then the month of this entire season just trying to stay in shape, prepping for a game that you don't know if you're going to play or not. That's two months of just straight practice and no game days. I feel for Houston. I really do. Outside. Have you ever been to Houston before? I lived in Texas, man. Okay. I'm from El Paso. Okay. So you know the heat. Yeah. You know what they say? It's that dry heat. It's that dry (laughs) heat. But no, I trust. Yeah. That's brutal. It's Even. terrible. <laughs> terrible. Uh, quick story. One of my best friends, he lives in Houston. I went down there for his wedding, and they were having the engagement party and everything like that in his backyard. And, uh, you know, me and my other buddy, we were down there super early before anybody else got there. We had the joy of helping him set up his backyard. I mean, it was 90 at 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with a hundred percent humidity, it's brutal. So to go to your point, imagine that throwing a helmet on and football pads and football drills and running around, and then your payoff gets canceled. Like, all right, guys, just stick with it. We'll have another game next week. You do it again, and that game gets canceled. So it got has to be frustrating for those guys. No, it's it's brutal. I know uh, the the hottest heat i guess i've ever experienced i uh, was visiting some family in las vegas um you know my uncle used to be stationed there and we were there for my cousin's graduation party and that heat was just i mean you talk about in the morning i mean it was the hottest point of the day in ohio during the summer it was that times 10 at like 6 a.m in the morning there like there is no like waiting for it to cool mm-hmm. down like it doesn't cool down i'm not saying it's that bad in houston but yeah that's the hottest heat that i've experienced that was pretty you know, Vegas is pretty brutal. I got married in Las Vegas in August, and the day we got married. Uh, were you like dating before? Did you just meet <laughs> you and Shayla? Just realized just met <laughs> I was there like, on the crazy old, drunken old, night. Yeah, it was wild. It, it was a uh, hundred and eighteen the day we got married. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> and you know, at, they wanted us to go take pictures outside the chapel and everything like that. And so you have like, like an outside backdrop. Yeah, like. it was burning. <laughs> 
up, dude, burning up. We're just both looking at each other. It's like, oh, it's only going to take like 10 minutes. I'm like, that's about nine minutes too long. Like, oh, that's adorable. <laughs> Look at the pictures. They're both crying. That's sweat. We are sweating profusely right now. All right. Um, again, now with the college football playoff, by the time we get to that point when that comes out, there's so many. T- I mean, as Alabama and the SEC has even started a few weeks later than even the ACC. Mm-hmm. And I'm not worried about it. Clemson. They control their own fate. Yeah. you got to go undefeated. I mean, right now, I mean, Clemson, by the time Ohio State kicks off on the 24th, they would have faced Miami, who currently is number eight. And again, people, I know you're rolling your eyes at the AP Top 25. To be fair, I am too, but those are real. And let's I always try to look at it this way. Let's say the Big Ten was one of the conferences that was ready to go from the very beginning, and it was another conference. Like, let's say the ACC or SEC was coming to the party late. We would be... We would be bragging about where we fall if we're number one, two, or three of those. And that's what the SEC is doing. And we kind of know where some of those teams are going to fall. I don't know about Miami. I don't know. If you're a Clemson fan, you better hope that the Miami's for real. You better hope that that's a good football team that's still going to be relatively, you know, highly ranked by the time, you know, we get to the college football playoff, you know, season because they're going to need all the help they can for that resume. Now, you go undefeated like they're expected to, right. fine. But let's say you slip up against Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. What if Clemson does slip up against Notre Dame? Because we know that they're one of the top teams in the country, and their only loss would come against Notre Dame. I would think that because they're a team that, again, back-to-back national championship game appearances, pretty much the same rosters last year, they're going to get that nod. And would Ohio State get the benefit of the doubt playing less games than Clemson? Whew. I don't know. The reason I asked, David brings up a good point on Facebook. He says, if the Big Ten and their fans, including myself, think that the college football playoff is going to show favor to the Big Ten, I think they are thinking this... I don't think they are thinking this through. The other conferences were furious at the Big Ten for canceling. All of that will be remembered, especially if a loss happens. If Ohio State loses to Penn State in week two, mm-hmm. and they run the table the rest of the way through, including putting a 70-burger, so I don't upset the Michigan, let's say put a 45-burger on, on, on that team up north, and you know what I mean? Like they, they take care of business except for that one game against Penn State. Does Ohio State get the benefit of the doubt? You already have a loss. One of the only good teams that you've played. And you've only played eight games. You started the season a month and a half late. And you know what I'm saying? So Mm. David brings up a good point. That could be the concern. Like, Buckeyes, they have to play perfect football. There is no in-between. I don't know if they would get shown favoritism. I don't know. I really don't. See, the thing that the ACC or Clemson has in their favor, if they lose to Notre Dame, is there's no divisions in the ACC this year. Yep. They're just going to go by the two best win percentages play in the ACC championship game so there's a way that they can quote unquote redeem that loss to Notre Dame in the Big Ten it's still divisions so if Ohio State loses to Penn State and Penn State runs the table Ohio State's out because they won't have a chance to get that bonus game in the Big Ten championship game what's the bonus game the Big Ten's doing at the end though they're doing oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like, every team. It's like even the two. But it's stupid. It's, you should have just had a Big Ten title game. I don't get it. It's Every team plays the other team from, like, the East plays the West. So, the number one team from the West plays the number team, one team for the, from the East. So, basically, that, that is. is that is the Big Ten championship game. But the number two team plays the number two team all, all the Why way Why not down. just call it the Big Ten championship game? I think it is still called a big championship okay? game. That's what I was but confused I think, about. Like, but the other not... teams are playing those games so they can have a full uh, schedule. Okay. List of games. It's it's a very weird year. Everybody's doing their own thing, which which is fine because we just all gonna have to adapt and adjust. But we also gotta look 
that was going on in the Pac-12. Shoot, they're only playing seven games. So, to be fair, I don't even know how much they would be in the conversation anyways. But, good point. Seven, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. As yeah, as I goes. mean, we, we talk about the lack of wiggle room with the Big Ten. There's zero wiggle room in the Pac-12 as well. They have no wiggle room for cancellation of the game, postponement of games, everything like that. So, I mean, at this rate, we just don't know what's going to happen with the virus, with the continuation of the games. I mean, shoot, if if it's USC or Oregon or whomever goes undefeated 7-0, and then... Uh, I mean, Oklahoma already has a loss. Yeah. Let's say that they run the table and beat Texas later on this this season. You know, what do you do? At, I mean, you have an undefeated Pac-12 team, but I don't reward an undefeated Pac-12 team. And no offense, Buck, I, I, you know what you get with Ohio State. You have to reward them. Mm-hmm. But what if, no, oh, I'm trying to think, there's not a team that can go undefeated in the Big Ten that is not going to face Ohio State. So that, that's a bad example. I just don't think there's another Big Ten team outside of Ohio State that would get the benefit of the doubt even with the loss. And that includes Penn State. Let's say that their only loss is Ohio State and they run the table and beat everybody else. I don't think they're they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. The only Big Ten team that will get the benefit of the doubt, in my opinion, is Ohio State. But again, what the big argument is going to be at the end is if it comes down to Oklahoma, uh, if that if it comes down to a Texas, if it comes down to heaven forbid a second SEC team, if it comes down to Clemson and Notre Dame, and everyone's saying, well, look, Ohio State, that's all fine and da- you know fine and dandy, but they only played eight games. I, I don't know. I, I get where I, I can see where the frustration is going to start to mount as the season. But I love it. I'm going to love the talking points. It's going to be fun. There's going to be multiple teams with losses. The only I, I knock on wood, and I I don't do this type of thing, and I'm not like that guy. But I see Ohio State and Clemson the only two teams that are, are going to go undefeated. Yep. I'm playing the scenario game, but yeah, I, I I'm with I, you. That's that's just the way I see it. Like I I believe that Clemson has the potential, the harder matchups. To be perfectly honest, we could talk about how bad the ACC is, but with the addition of Notre Dame and the possibility of playing Notre Dame twice, and I know you know here in Big Ten country we look down on Notre Dame, and then we got our Notre Dame stands out there that love them, love them some Irish and everything like that. But the addition of them to the ACC conference for this season gives them two tough games for sure. It's going to be a tough game. It's going to be it's going to be a good game. And then the the emergence of Miami. Can we say that Ohio State has opponents like that on their schedule? No, that's what I was just going to get to. So I'm glad you brought that up because I was literally just looking at that. Dude, like, here's their October um, or their November. I'm sorry. Their November is Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana, and Illinois. And we can laugh at the ACC all we want, but Clemson's at least going to play, you know, Miami. And let's say Notre Dame wasn't a part of it. Then we can have the comparison of schedules right. and say, okay, well, the schedule sucks, but the conference is better. I'm not convinced that the Big Ten, it's better than the ACC, but the addition of Notre Dame makes it a little bit more of an interesting conversation because the top two teams are better than the top two teams in the Big Ten. Now, I'm not saying that Clemson's better than Ohio State or vice versa, but I think that they cancel one another out. Right. But Michigan and Notre Dame or Michigan or Notre Dame and Penn State, I think – Tie goes to Notre Dame, or not? Uh, you know, the score goes to Notre Dame at that point. So if Clemson has to play Miami, and Miami turns out to be legit again, it's Miami. They always step yeah, their toe they along the way. Them, they played them in two weeks. So if you know they play Miami uh, and they play Notre Dame, that's tougher than anything Ohio State's having to go through. I mean, in all actuality, they could potentially play Notre Dame twice, or they could play 
Miami twice. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So that's on the table. Uh, There is no Wisconsin on Ohio State schedule this year currently. You know, they could potentially play in the Big Ten championship game. Um, But Penn State and Michigan and – you know, I, I don't like to be that guy to, to try to disrespect and overlook our biggest rival just because we put it on them for, what's this, like seven years in a row and everything like that. But, you know, we're looking at it and we're thinking to ourselves, like, there's no way they're going to be able to match up with us in the amount of firepower we, we have on the field. So I just look at it as, you know what, you don't have to worry about anything if you win the game. Just go win the games. And you'll be exactly yep. where you want to be, and let everybody else worry about where they fall. Yep, that's. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. <laughs> that's why these first couple of weeks of the college football season have been. It's been a yawn fest, but Oklahoma losing is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these top teams losing early, or LSU going down. Even though, you know, people were overreacting to that. I never bought into LSU after Joe Burrow left. Like, and that's not as slight as LSU. That, that's a tough thing to do to replace fourteen. Now, is it tough for Ohio State? No. But I'm not going to hold LSU to an Ohio State expectation when there's only a few programs that do what Ohio State does, and that's Alabama and Clemson. The only three programs that know how to stock up, lose a ton of talent, and then pick up the next year like nothing happened, it's Ohio State, it's Clemson, it's Alabama. They're the only three programs doing that on a regular basis. So... LSU doing what they did, it's the same thing that Auburn did after Cam Newton. You know, they were good, but they weren't elite good. LSU's going to be good this year, but not elite good. It's going to be, you know, Florida State. You lose, you know, Jameis Winston. Same thing, like, you know, you, you're you good, but they don't. there's certain programs that are good enough to strike while the iron's hot with a certain recruiting class. But then yeah. there's the three dominant programs, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, that, I mean, you look at what Clemson's done. Going from Deshaun Watson, you know, uh, who was after Kelly Bryant. I mean, Kelly Bryant was solid, mm-hmm. but Trevor Lawrence was clearly the better pick. Right. They never missed a beat going, you know, moving on from Deshaun Watson. You look at Ohio State. How many quarterbacks have they gone through, you know, since winning the national championship? Now, have they won one since then? No, but they're still regularly. We're talking right. about them in the top four conversation every single year. You look at Alabama. Same thing with what they're doing. Jalen Hurts, again, compared to Tua, Jalen Hurts kind of hurts your eyes a little bit. But you look at the numbers, it's like he wasn't that far off from the numbers that Tua put up. Right. So Jay, Alabama went from Jalen Hurts to Tua. We don't know what you have right now with Mac Jones or whatever his name is. So, you know, we'll see. But the bottom line is there's only three programs that can do what Ohio State, Bama, and Clemson does, and that's those programs. I'm not going to hold LSU to that same expectation. Uh, Ron Howard on Facebook says uh, Georgia and Auburn this week Ooh. winner could be the topic. I mean, Georgia Georgia has a lot of big games uh, on the schedule. I mean, you have Auburn coming up. You know, you have Alabama not too far off. Georgia could be an outlier here. Because Alabama, by the way, they can afford to lose one and still make the playoffs. I hate to tell people that, but it's true. Alabama, Texas A&M, Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi State. Again, you're rolling your eyes at all of them. But they're all top 25. When last year, Ohio State, when you were, you know beating Iowa, you were beating the top 25s in the Big Ten that no one was giving a lot of respect. We were pumping our chest for that. So I'm going to keep it you know, consistent as far as that goes. All right, we'll step away for a few moments. I have a couple more college football news and notes that we'll touch on on the other side of the break. Regardless, I'm just excited to finally get to the point where we're gearing up for Ohio State football. They kick off on October 24th. All right, we'll be back in a moment. More of the Justin Kinner Show when we come back. But big news for Ohio State. They will get two new additions, not two new additions, two returning additions to the roster that could be a huge difference maker, maybe not for the regular season schedule, but from the games that really matter, which they're pursuing, and that's the college football playoff. We'll discuss when we come back. Don't go anywhere. 
Skinner Show with Kev Nash. Back to the famous WING studios. Here's Justin Kinner and Kev Nash. Two of the top defenses in the National Football League are set up to go head-to-head coming up this weekend, or at least so we thought, and I think it's going to happen now again because uh, the two top, one of the two of the top defenses in the National Football League, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Tennessee Titans, when COVID tried to take care of both of them, but the defense is too strong. Apparently, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, NFL wants and intends to play the Titans-Steelers game as scheduled on Sunday. One of the contingency plans is to allow for additional testing and contact tracing to occur. All they were going to do is just move the game to Monday night, which will, of course, be some of the regular protocols moving forward, that if there are games not played on Titans player, especially that first possession of offense, we know this by watching tons of football. Their first series, every, every team in the NFL, their first series is scripted, and they script those plays, and those are the plays that they rep the most in practice. Yes, you're not hitting you're not going live, but you are repping those plays, and you know that's why everybody's first drives always look so crisp because those are the plays that they practice the most. These are the ones that are most important. They are at, if they don't practice as a team, they are at a clear disadvantage, and I just don't think that's fair. And I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I just don't think that's right. I think that they should just put a. I, I, hey, this is a bye week. Going to be a bye week until we get everything situated. If they're if they're unable to practice in person, I think that's totally unfair. I think that put them so far behind the eight ball, man. It's, this the regular season. All these guys are supposed to count. And if they're actually not able to practice in person, I think that's totally unfair. Well, that, to be fair, when you compare it to other regular seasons and other sports that are playing during a pandemic, there's nothing fair about how Major League Baseball season went. You have some teams playing to almost 27 inning games versus everyone else having to Sox play nine. The Cardinals. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, the COVID Cardinals. Yeah, you know, in the NBA, um, you had teams who got to rest. I mean, look, nothing ever happened with Portland, but Portland right. was good I, enough I, to I, potentially I, go on a run. That's I said you know. the same thing about that. I thought it was totally unfair that they basically got. Four, uh, three new starters. What uh, I mean, look, <laughs> look at Denver. Porter. Uh, what, what's the kid's yeah, name? Michael Porter Jr. He wasn't healthy during the regular <laughs> season, and it was. It's almost like this playoffs for the NBA is almost a. It's almost a different season. Yeah. It really is. Like this is technically LeBron's 18th season, yeah. technically right here, because the gap between when the games ended in March and when they picked back up in what July, end of July. Yeah, yeah. That was Last a week of July. that was longer than a typical off season. That's longer than a typical offseason. So, uh, you know, it's a very – so I get your point, but I, at the same time, teams are going to have to be flexible with a lot of different things. The NFL, it's just going to look more glaring mm-hmm. only because they're the only regular season sport that started on time and that is as close to normal. Like, there's really nothing different about this NFL season outside of no fans at the game. Right. Masks and stadiums and stuff like that. But, like, from a strategic standpoint, nothing has changed as far as, you know, game prep and everything. So – this might be those things that the NFL has to adjust to. I don't know, but you're right. If the Steelers come out and say, "Forget that, we're not, we're not playing without prep or whatever," one of those. But it's going to come down to if these two teams do play come Sunday or Monday night without having a physical practice, and the Steelers could practice, they're not. It's <laughs> right. Really, this is really a Vikings problem. This is a Vikings and Titans problem. Yeah. The Vikings are technically who they, you know. The Vikings shut things down, too, right. to do you know a round of testing, which, by the way, the first round of testing since Sunday, all the results came back yesterday, posi- right. you know, or negative, I'm sorry, but they did a second round of testing today, so really have to wait about 24 hours until we find out um, what's going on as far as that. By the way, the Big Ten, their testing is better than the NFL's? 
This thing is a total cluster. If I'm Roger Goodell, I would have pouted and uh, threatened to sit out, too. Maybe President Trump would have given them the five-minute testing or 15-minute testing or whatever it was uh, that the Big Ten got. You know what I mean? Like The NBA has the rapid test, too. Yeah. So how, that, how is the most popular league and the league that makes the most money don't have the five-minute rapid test? Like, dudes are, like, forgive me, hocking a loogie, and then they're finding out if they got it or not. They still out here doing the nose thing like they mean you going to CVS. Yep. <laughs> yep. Better call ahead. Those lines are long. I'll tell you that much. Tell you that much. But no, interesting nonetheless. Okay, we didn't get to this Buckeye thing now. We're going to get to it when we come back. When we come back, Ohio State got great news about the return, the return of two players that are definitely going to help the Buckeyes potentially win a national championship. Of course, a lot has to happen between now and then, but this is definitely great news for the Buckeyes. Also, a big decision was made for the Georgia Bulldogs for their football program. This could have an impact not just on their game coming up this weekend, the Top 25 Showdown, but with their game with Alabama in a few weeks. I'll tell you both of those news and notes when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Follow ESPN 1410 Wing AM on Facebook. Everybody, we are back. Justin Kinner, Kevin Nash with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Able to listen to Reds baseball tomorrow. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds and, of course, uh, you know, in the first in the playoffs, I'm sorry, the Cincinnati Reds will be going head-to-head with an opponent that I think many people are obviously giving the, you know, the favoritism to in the, in the number two seed, the Braves. I uh, like the Reds' chances. We're going to talk. We're going to go three up, three down with the Reds here at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Three reasons why I believe they could beat the Braves. Three reasons why I think they will lose to the Braves. Uh, we'll get to that coming up here in just over five minutes. But uh, take a look at the playoff brackets. We'll also go through matchup by matchup and uh, predictions for who's going to win uh, and get to the World Series. I have the Reds going pretty far in the playoffs, very surprisingly. I'm like one of the most negative Reds fans I've been told out there, but I'm pretty confident in their ability come playoff time as far as that is concerned. All right, a couple of college football headlines here as we close out hour number one. Ohio State Buckeyes Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis have been cleared and uh, after opting to come back to play. Again, they never hired an agent. Uh, uh, or they never, there was no, you know, handing of money. Wink, wink, nod, nod, you know, just say this, say that, sign on the dotted line, and off you go. Ohio State Buckeyes All-American candidates Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis have been cleared to play this season after opting back in. Ryan Day said both players would be eligible during an interview uh, on the fan in Columbus yesterday. A team captain for the Buckeyes, Wade was listed by Mel Kuyper as the number seven prospect on his big board earlier this month. Todd McShay's number two cornerback and number 13 prospect overall for the 21 NFL draft. So that was a weird little scenario there. That week I was off when I went to Pensacola or whatever. I know that that week he had announced, like, just when there was momentum of all these reports coming out mm-hmm. that the Big Ten was going to be announcing in the next couple days that they were going to be coming back. Sean Wade opts out. It made no dang sense. I'm glad he's back. I'm glad Wyatt Davis is back because I want no excuses. Because mm-hmm. it is going to come down between Ohio State, Clemson, barring any other collapses or, you know, COVID issues on the outside. It's going to come down between those two teams. And if Ohio State beats Clemson. I want them to be full force. And if Clemson beats Ohio State, I don't want to hear from Ohio State fans. Well, well, if we had, you know, if we had Wade, you know, if we had Davis, no, everyone's gonna be ready to go, barring any injuries, right. of course. Um, but I thought that was pretty big news as well. As for the Georgia Bulldogs out of the SEC, transfer quarterback from USC, JT Daniels. No surprise here. The NCAA always finds the right reasons to clear a quarterback, and the quarterback for Georgia has been cleared, and he will be available for Georgia's uh, top 10 matchup showdown with Auburn coming up this weekend. Now, 
Kirby Smart, I listened to a radio interview with him earlier today. Clearly, JT Daniels is not going to be the starter against Auburn coming up, but they are working with him all week, and he, you know, he's going to be as prepared as prepared can be going up against Auburn. But keep in mind, they have a matchup with uh, Alabama here in a few weeks. That Georgia-Alabama matchup will happen before Ohio State comes back to play. So it's going to be interesting as far as that's concerned. Um, yeah, and then uh, David Shaw says, go ahead, Justin, keep overlooking Bama. What are you talking about? <laughs> have you not heard me? compliment Bama this whole time. I've been, I've been doing nothing but talking about Bama. When you look at the fact that they're going to have four top 25 matchups before Ohio State even kicks off, I haven't been underplaying Bama at all. I have Bama as a lock to make the playoff right now. Bama can afford to lose a game. Bama will probably lose a game between now and the college in the final college football playoff selection show, and they will make the playoff. They will be one of the one loss. Like, I don't anticipate Alabama to go undefeated, but I do anticipate them to be a one-loss team in the college football playoff. I really do. Um, I do not. Ohio State cannot lose a game. They lose a game, they're out. They're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. You're already only playing eight games. Clemson, you can lose a game if it's to Notre Dame. You only get one free pass if you're Clemson, and that's Notre Dame. Uh, outside of that, Georgia, you got to be perfect. Um, Georgia's looked rough. It's not really rough. They just look like, hey, there's been no preseason. Well, there's really not preseason in college to begin with. But there technically is. There's a reason that the first week or two is always boring in the NCAA anyways. And why, Kev? Because they usually schedule the Miami of Ohio's or the Bethune-Cookman's or tune whatever. Game. Yeah, the tune-up. There is no tune-up games. That's another reason I'm not panicking about a lot of the teams going down early. A lot of the teams that are going down early right now, they're going up against division of opponents and regardless yeah. of the talent of those opponents those opponents like i still said this before maryland is a very would be a very tough week one opponent in comparison to what your normal week one opponents are maryland's not a tough opponent kev that's not what i'm saying they're definitely not tough come november when they play them. but if you had to choose between miami of ohio or florida atlantic in week one or maryland in week one i think you would rather play the other two and again I'm, that sounds like I'm giving way too much credit to Maryland. I'm not. I'm, but you see my point as far as that is concerned. I just wanted to touch on Wyatt Davis real quick. Yep. Uh, Wyatt Davis is a projected first-round pick at guard. Normally, offensive line, it's tackle, 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 center. To be a first-round pick at guard, that means how good he is. He is one of the best offensive linemen in the country. That is a huge thing for Ohio State to get back. Him and Josh Myers anchoring that offensive line. I see the Buckeyes having the best offensive line in college football this year. I cannot wait to see the Buckeyes on the field this year. Yeah, they're going to be so dominant up front. Uh, David, after saying keep uh, that I keep overlooking Alabama, he says, you keep saying it's Ohio State and Clemson. That's all I'm saying. The reason I keep saying it's Ohio State and Clemson is because I think when – and I, I put – and here's the deal. I put Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama in a little pocket all by themselves. There are no other programs like those three. Georgia's flirting with it, um, but the only programs that are championship contenders every year – that are top three in recruiting rankings every year, um, that are always in the preseason top five every year, it's Clemson, it's Alabama, and it's Ohio State. Um, that That's kind of how I view that as far as that's concerned. But the reason I'm giving the nod to Clemson and Ohio State over Alabama is because of quarterback play. Now, Jones might change that, but as of right now, the top two teams, because of the two best quarterbacks in the country, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. Plus, I think selfish. All right, welcome back. Hour two. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash, live here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. We will open up the phone lines now at 457 9464. 
Of course, opened up with hour number one, talking a lot of college football. I mean, it's crazy. Ohio State kicks off the season on October 24th. And when you look at what's all going to happen between now and October 24th, the college football world is not slowing down waiting for Ohio State. I mean, Alabama would have had four top 25 matchups before Ohio State officially kicks off on the 24th. Clemson, uh, you know, they'll have a top 25 showdown with Miami. I don't know how legit Miami is. It'll be a top 10 showdown. I don't know how legit Miami is. We've seen them start hot. You know, we've seen them have hot starts of the seasons in other years. Uh, is this Miami team for real? But we do know that Clemson, of course, has Miami, and they'll have Notre Dame, you know, weeks down the road. But um, maybe Clemson will have a, a little bit, a couple more resume-building games on there than we anticipated as far as that goes. Georgia has Auburn this weekend. They have Alabama in a few weeks. They got JT Daniels back. So the college football landscape is really um, going to be interesting by the time Ohio State kicks off their season on the 20. 20- fourth and Ohio State won't have time to kind of be eased into the season they're going to have to not just beat opponents but they're going to have to look good doing it the one plus for Ohio State is it's not like it's Alabama where you kind of don't know what they are offensively you just give them you know you trust them because it's Alabama and Ohio State's getting trust because they're Ohio State but the Buckeyes are also getting a lot of trust because they know I mean you have a high you know a returning Heisman finalist in, in Justin Fields uh, you know the run game you know and that's going to be the one thing the one thing that Ohio State will benefit from is that master Teague has had all this extra time. You know, he wasn't even supposed to be 100% by the time the season started if Ohio State would have kicked the season off on time or if college football would have kicked off on time originally. So, there was supposed to be no master take. Now he's going to be ready to go. You have Trey Sermon. So technically, the Buckeyes run game is way deeper than we even anticipated had a regular season, a regular, regular season <laughs> happened as far as that goes. And to be clear, those young receivers, Kev, you you think this extra practice time is a bad thing for them? No. Mm-mm. They might be more seasoned than what your typical freshman receivers are when they debut because of all the extra practice time with all the extra time they've had with Justin Fields now. So I think Ohio State's in good shape. They're, I, you know, when we talk about giving them the benefit of the doubt, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt because you kind of already know who they are. They return in the most experienced offensive line in college football. All right, they, they've you know you know what you're getting on the defensive side of the ball. Sure, they lose Chase Young and others, but again, it's just all about next man up mentality. I hate that phrase, but it's true when it comes to Ohio State. So we'll get back into some college football talk later on in the show. ESPN's Jason Fitz, ESPN Jason, uh, ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz is going to join us coming up here at 4:30. We'll talk some college football and NFL with him. Some Browns Bengals talk around the corner. But I want to talk a little baseball. The Cincinnati Reds will be in action tomorrow at noon, 11.30, the pregame. Reds-Braves game one of a three-game wild card and a wild card series. The Reds have not been in the playoffs for seven years. And right now they hit the ground running with potentially, for once, it's... 2020 is a year of first, a lot of first for your Reds. Uh, it's the first time in seven years they've been back in the playoffs, and they could have their very first Cy Young winner in Trevor Bauer, who, by the way, will be pitching tomorrow's Game 1 matchup between the Reds and the Braves. Let's take a look at the playoff, you know, what the playoff uh, graphic looks like. I'm sorry, what the, the bracket looks like. You have the Reds and the Braves, of course, going head-to-head. The winner will go on to face the Marlins and Cubs. How about this stat, Kev? The Marlins have never lost a playoff game. Every playoff they've ever been in, they've won a World Series. Yeah. So expect Derek Jeter to blow this roster up next this summer or this off. No, not this summer. I guess this this winter, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, after the season, if they you know go on to win the World Series. The Reds have the most favorable path to at least the NL, you know, to at least their NL championship game or to their divisional championship game. I like the Reds' chances against the Braves. They have really good chances against the Cubs and Marlins. I'm not going to say that about the Dodgers, but, uh, you know, I I think it'll be interesting as far as that goes. You have the Yankees and the Indians later tonight. I know you're excited about that. 
Let's go. The Let's winner, go. The winner of that go. series gets rewarded with, well, the, possibly yeah. the best team in baseball in the Rays. Yeah. So there's that. Don't remind me. Absolutely. All right. So the Reds and Braves tomorrow. Let's go. Let's do a little three up, three down with your Cincinnati Reds. Three reasons why the Reds will beat the Braves in the NL Wild Card Series, and three reasons why the Reds will lose to the Braves in the NL Wild Card Series. I'll start with the three reasons why I believe that the Reds will beat the Atlanta Braves in this NL Wild Card Series. And by the way, we are live on Facebook. Head to Facebook, search the Justin Kinner Show. You can also find us on the ESPN Dayton Facebook page and watch along. Give us your three up, three down. In the comments section, we'll be able to pull your comments into the show and display your three up, three down. Three up, three down. Three reasons why the Reds will win. Right off the bat, this isn't a secret. Trevor Bowers, uh, you know, Luis Castillo, and Sonny Gray. I think it's very obvious why the Reds have a chance to win when you have a trio like this. Trevor Bauer, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray. Those three right there, mainly because this is also a three-game series. Uh, if you're telling me that the Reds and Braves are going to play a seven-game series, I become a little iffy. I think there's a lot more doors that are going to be open for the Braves to take advantage of. But in a three-game series, the Reds have the better pitching, the better starting pitching. Trevor Bauer, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, that one-two-three punch, uh, I think that definitely gives the Reds an advantage in this series. The one reason I believe the Reds beat the Braves in the NL wildcard series is, well, that reason right there. The other reason I believe that the Reds have a shot to beat the Atlanta Braves in this NL wildcard series, Nick Castellanos and Mike Moustakis. You knew what you added into the guys that were gelling together over the last couple of seasons and then the bullpen with Lorenzen and I'm excited about Iglesias who has blown so many games as crazy as this sounds but if he pitches the way he has as of late this could be uh, the difference. This is the reason um, that everyone had so much confidence in this Reds team to begin with. Any nitpicks on the reasons why I'm confident in their ability to win this series? I don't. I don't. But I do have a question. Obviously, this whole season has been without fans. Technically, they're going on the road. Yep. Do you think that has any effect on the outcome of the series? Will Atlanta have fans? No. Then no, I think that that, that's actually what helps. If Atlanta was going to be sold out regular season, like this was a regular, regular season. I know I should say normal. If this was a normal regular season and it's set up for a normal postseason, I would be very concerned about the Reds playing on the road. Maybe not as concerned because Trevor Bauer would be on the mound, but I think the fact that, you know, Atlanta, that's great that you're playing at home. The only plus you have there is that you're just comfortable that you get to sleep in your own beds at night, Um, but you're not going to have that extra juice from the fans. The Braves won't have that extra juice from the fans, and the Reds won't have that juice from the fans working against them. That's a Thank you for giving me that one, too. That's an additional reason why I believe the Reds have a chance to win this series against the Braves. (laughs) All right. We are live on Facebook. Head to Facebook. Search the Justin Kinner Show. I'm already seeing a couple of the three up, three downs. Three reasons why the Reds will beat the Braves in the series. Three reasons why they will lose. We're going to display those coming up in a moment. Here are my three reasons why I believe the Reds will not win this series against the Braves. Max Freed. How about this? The starting pitcher, the lefty for the Atlanta Braves. Here's my concern, Kev. The Reds' traditional starting lineup? Yeah. They are one for 18 career against free. That's not good. That is With not no good. runs. They are one for 18. This this lineup for the Reds, the main core of their lineup, again, because with David Bell, you never know what the lineup's going to be, but the main core of their lineup is one for 18 career against Max Freed. That has me concerned. Again, that's only game one. But let's be clear. We put all the eggs in the basket of Trevor Bauer, right? Right. So that's where I'm concerned. You can't lose tomorrow. You can still win this series if you lose tomorrow, but you can't lose tomorrow. There's a lot going against the Reds if they lose game one. 
Sure, you have Luis Castillo, but that'll be his first playoff game ever that he'll be pitching in in game two. You don't want him facing an elimination game. But the right. Reds play, the Reds lineup, the Reds offensive players have not had success against this starting pitcher. But again, we'll see what that exactly means come tomorrow at noon. Uh, reason number two, the Reds' inconsistent hitters, which is kind of feeding off of that. They haven't had success against Freed, but you kind of don't know what you get with this Reds lineup from time to time. What I do feel good about is the fact that they've had a lot of contributions from guys down at the bottom of the order. I mean, Tucker Barnhart's had some big hits over the last couple, you know, week and a half. How about Freddie Galvis? Freddie Galvis was huge against the Twins. Um, you know, he was huge against the Twins and being a spark, um, you know, for that team. Friday night, uh, you know, I was in the car listening to the Reds game, and Freddie Galvis you know, had quite a few big hits down the stretch in that game one of the Twins series. Win that they had that in essence punched their ticket to become you know into the playoffs so that's big, um, but the Reds inconsistent hitters are what, what I'm concerned about. Jesse Winker has to be the good Jesse Winker. Votto can't be the Joey Votto. Joey Votto needs to be the Joey Votto of old and not old Joey Votto. Suarez needs to be who he was last year, and then Castellanos, Mustakis, as long as they do what they were brought here to do. They'll be fine, but the problem is is that has not been the Reds' mantra all season. That's what I'm concerned about. And the reason number three that I'm concerned why the Reds will lose in the playoffs, simply put, David Bell. David Bell. This dude panics in the regular season. I can't imagine his nerves in the playoffs. Like, every moment is big in a game. But, like, this guy literally freaks out and makes the craziest decisions throughout the regular season when you have plenty of time to let things pan out. I'm really concerned about the, the trigger finger that he's going to have during a, during a playoff run. That's what I'm concerned about. Like, if, you know, if, like, for instance, game two, if Luis Castillo just even looks remotely inaccurate in his first couple pitches, I'm curious how he's going to respond. How quickly will he get the bullpen up and rolling? I'm also curious that if Luis Castillo doesn't have a good outing in Game 2 and Trevor, and they have to use Sonny Gray to kind of come in and save the day in Game 2 to force a Game 3, is he going to go to Tyler Malley? Or is he going to try one of those stupid opener games where you let Michael Lorenzen pitch the first two innings of Game 3? You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm concerned about. So my top three reasons why I'm concerned that the Reds will lose this series Max Freed, the Reds, 1-for-18 against this pitcher, of course. Inconsistency at times throughout this lineup. And then David Bell, his decision-making really concerns me. But to be fair, his decision-making could be what helps this team at times, but I'm not willing to give him that benefit of the doubt. Let's see what he does in this series against the Braves. All right, 457-9464. I want to hear from you Reds fans. Your three up, your three down. Let's go to Facebook. David Shaw says that the three reasons that the Reds will beat the Braves, Bauer, Gray, and Iglesias, uh, two of the three starters, and then, of course, Iglesias on the back end, you know, to, to kind of bookend it. Three reasons the Reds will lose, of course, Acuna, Albius, and Freeman, the three big offensive weapons for the Braves in that lineup. Ron says, you mean David Bell. Ron, what did I say? Did I say David Bell? I think you said David Bell. Now, Ron's probably thinking, raise, 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 so he ain't listening anyway. Travis says uh, the, Red, the Reds, uh, the reasons that the Reds will win, starting pitching, number two, Jesse Winker, and number three, veteran leadership. And lose his job by any means. I do believe, though, however, that this was setting up the hot seat year. I don't know if making the I think that this playoff series, really, there's a lot riding on it. I think that if the mm-hmm. Reds beat the Braves, that David Bell can lose next year and still not be in the hot seat. But if the Reds get swept in the playoffs, if they get swept with Trevor Bauer, potential Cy Young winner on the mound, and then, of course, uh, you, you know, look at Igle- not Iglesias, I'm sorry, uh, but Castillo in game two, now you got to be concerned. 
Now you got to be concerned as far as that's concerned. But I do believe that if the Reds win a playoff series with David Bell, not just getting there, because by the way, folks, let's be clear, I'm not going to give a ton of credit to David Bell for getting them there. Because this team was built to get there. You were supposed to get there. You know what I mean? Like, I always say this all the time. Like, I laugh when I hear people, you know, when you know, bo- your bosses say, hey, you're doing a good job of arriving to work early. Like, you're <laughs> supposed, you don't need to compliment employees for showing up to work early. You're supposed to arrive to work early. You're supposed to be on time, right? Well, David Bell, this team was supposed to make the playoffs. You think they brought in Mike Moustakis and, and, and Castellanos uh, and Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray over the years? You think that they did all of that just so that you can maybe make the No. So David Bell did what he was supposed to. You were supposed to make the playoffs. But you also made it harder than it was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to come down to the final weekend when you have one of the best pitching rotations in baseball. It wasn't supposed to come down to the final weekend when you have, on paper, a lineup coming in that really, the Reds should not, we should not have been fretting about the final weekend of the season. It should have been, hey, where are we going to be seated the final week of the season? Not, man, are we even going to make it? So, to, to sum up, David Bell, the Reds on the playoffs, they're supposed to be. This was a playoff roster. This was a playoff team. And I give them credit, too, because, hey, this is the best division in baseball. You know, like four of the five teams in the division made the playoffs. David Shaw says, what are you talking about, Kev? Dusty had nothing to do with the trash cans. Did you say what you Yeah, say? yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the Houston Astros as, as a Oh, what you say? As a whole. As a whole company, as a whole team. If you look at some of their best players, they're down. Have, they're batting like in the low 200s. And last year, they were in the mid-3s. El Tuve, I think, hit 221 on the year. Yeah. And he got him in the playoffs. Yeah. Everybody's in the playoffs this year, though. That that is true. <laughs> that is true. I, I, I'm, 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 it's not the popular opinion. I really like Dusty. Yeah. I really like Dusty. Hal McCoy mentioned this the other day when he was on the show. He goes, hey, a lot of people you know, banged on Dusty, but... This is the first time the Reds have been back to the playoffs since Dusty. There was a ton of losing post-Dusty. So I'm just saying, like, uh, you know, I, I, I do believe they would have gotten over that eventually in the playoffs with Dusty Baker. I really do. But at the same time, I also believe that rebuild was on the, was on the you know, it was on the verge of happening. And Dusty Baker wasn't going to stick around for a rebuild. That's why I always said, Brian Price, I forgave him for losing with no talent. It was tough for me to forgive David Bell for losing with talent, as far mm-hmm. as that's concerned. Uh, he goes on to say the Reds should have been worrying about uh, who they were playing at Great American Ballpark. That's, that's a fair point. I believe that the Reds were good enough to be a top four, top, you know, top four seed in the Major League Baseball playoffs. That's just me. But uh, I'm happy that they're in. But I am curious what this does for the talks of David Bell. I don't know what the confidence level is in him moving forward. This team made the playoffs, but you barely made it in, and this team is good enough to make it in. Uh, Travis says Dusty lost his job when he blew a 2-0 lead with three games left at home to San Francisco. Yeah, that San Francisco team. Travis, do you think that that uh, San Fran team, is that better than the Braves team that they're about to play? Not that that has anything to do with what uh, Dusty did then. I'm just curious. Because I am curious. The teams that the Reds have to play are not that – it's not that difficult to beat these. I don't – the Braves do not – intimidate me as a Reds fan. Um, the Marlins definitely don't intimidate me. The Cubs are a little intimidating because it's the Cubs, but it's not the it's not this team's not better than the two thousand sixteen World Series Cubs. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers intimidate me, but hey, that's quite the run in the playoffs if you get all the way to the National League, you know, championship series. So we'll see. All right, folks, we'll get back into some baseball talk coming up here in just a little bit. Let's talk about your Cincinnati Bengals. Let's talk about your Cleveland Browns. 
Let's talk some college football. That's all coming up. We have ESPN and Fitz. He joins us next. Don't go anywhere. on Cowboys fans, but really, Justin Kenner, you're a Cowboys fan and a Browns fan? Good Lord have mercy. I don't know what the hell to do with y'all. I really don't. Back to the Justin Kenner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio. Yes, I am a Browns fan and a Cowboys fan. Kenner Bowl. We got the Justin Kenner Bowl coming up this week. Now, I was already to put a lot on this line and say that I would give my allegiance to one team, one team only. But look, it's, there's no fans in this day. The Kinner Bowl, with a lot on the line, we're going to push those stakes off to another season when they play Oh, again. my goodness. He's when backing out. I, have, I mean, I mean maybe. I haven't decided. Ron, do you hear that? He's but backed that out. Feel right. I, I want, you know. Plus, I wanted the game in Cleveland, so I can go to the game in Cleveland. For ESPN, I could have easily gotten a pass from the guys to go to that game. The week after playing in New England, that's only about an hour from Bristol where I spend most of my time. That game was easy. They were playing the Jets in New York. That game was easy. And Thanksgiving weekend playing in Atlanta. And, you know, my wife and family's all in Nashville. I split my time between the two cities. That's a pretty easy hop from Nashville to Atlanta. I had a plan to get to four Raiders games this year, and now the answer is zero. So I am still very hurt about it. Absolutely. You know, I, uh, the Justin Kinner Bowl is supposed to be, I have to pick my allegiance between the Browns and the Cowboys this week, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to go to the game. We can't go to the game. So now, I, I don't know, I'm checking it out. I don't really want to just pick one team. I enjoy having more than one team. Jason, you have your team A, that's the, the Raiders. Who's your team B? Uh, no, there, no such thing. I mean, there is no... Like, not even the Titans, huh? Living in Nashville? No, 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 no. I mean, 20 <laughs> years in Nashville, like, you know, Taylor Lewan's a buddy, and the number of times that he's texted me and been like, when are you going to root for us? I'm like, when you play for the Raiders. Like, when us is you in Vegas, I will root for you all day. Like, Will Compton played for the Raiders, now plays for the Titans. I uh, I hit him up last week, and I was like, hey, man, uh, whatever you have a time, send me a jersey, but I want one of the Raiders jerseys. I don't want that trash for the Titans stuff on my wall. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm a one-team man a through and through. Uh, loyalty is key. It is key. It's a trait that I wish I had, apparently, uh, as far as that. Plus, if they had a different quarterback than Ryan Tannehill, it might be a little bit easier to jump oh, on that band. Yeah. We have a lot of Titans fa- For some reason, we have a lot of Titans fans in this area, and they jump on me every time I take a shot at the Titans. So I had to get my dig in. Hey, let's look at uh, this week, uh, week three of the NFL season. It wrapped up last night. It was supposed to be, uh, you know, the biggest game of the season, right? You had the, the you know, the, the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, MVP, going up against Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl MVP from last year, and the Chiefs. It didn't live up to the hype, but it's not, you know, it's because that's how good Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are. What are some of your takeaways from that? Because that really was a dub last night, but that speaks to just how good this Chiefs team is with Patrick Mahomes, obviously. Well, and i got to keep stressing what you just said, because I still believe the Ravens are the second-best team in the AFC. So that shows us how large the gap is between the best and the second-best team in the AFC. But Mm -hmm. what we saw last night was, you know, there was so much concern that the Chargers had given some sort of a blueprint out of the 49ers on how to attack the Chiefs. And look, fine, if you've got an epic defensive line that can get pressure and maybe you've got great corners that are playing out of their minds, maybe you can do something. But what we saw last night was was Patrick Mahomes continuing to invent great plays, and we saw that they were obviously intent in getting Tyreek Hill more involved in the offense as well. So, you know, I I look at the Chiefs, and I just think that they're going to put together the type of season this year that we'll be telling our grandkids about. And that's, you know, it's hard for me to admit that as a Raiders fan, I think this is going to be a generational season for Kansas City, and last night was an indication of it. They're clearly the best team in the NFL. So, uh, you know, that's the big takeaway from that. On the other side of it, 
you know, we have to remember that the Ravens have spent a lot of time building an offense around Lamar Jackson for Lamar Jackson's strengths. And part of that is we're going to do some different things. We're going to do some different big formations. We're going to run a lot. We're going to set things up a particular way. Well, when you're down by two touchdowns, you can't just suddenly spread out and change who you are. So I don't, I don't put as much of Lamar Jackson's poor performance when they were down big on Lamar as it's just not the way the offense is built to run. And that's going to be something that the Ravens are going to have to look at if they're facing deficits anywhere else this season. Now you talk about Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, and I brought up yesterday that Baker Mayfield is a game manager, and the Browns fans attacked me, and particularly one Hold Browns, me back. Hold me back. <laughs> particularly this one Browns fan that I co-host this show with. Is the term game Great manager guy. a bad term? No, I don't think it's a bad term. I mean, I think game managers can win Super Bowls, honestly. Like, it's a matter of can you execute the offense? Do you believe that your coach is brilliant at his job? If you believe your coach is brilliant at his job offensively and you've got a game manager as a quarterback, you're going to be just fine. You know, and the question is how, how good is the game plan he's managing? Now, uh, this is a, a terrible radio take, but I, I die on this all the time. If you want to really know who you have at quarterback, you need three years to find out. Year one, you get a bit of a sample size. Everybody adjusts to it. Year two, you see how a quarterback performs against those adjustments. Year three, it normalizes. So the version of Baker that we're getting this year, I think, is probably a pretty normalized version of what to expect moving forward. And, you know, Baker's good, not great. You know, and that's, that's okay. You can, be, you can win a lot of games with a quarterback that's good, not great. We're just The problem is everybody's enamored with this concept of finding their Patrick Mahomes and, like, that just doesn't exist. They're Russell Wilson. Like, that just doesn't exist for most of the league. So, you know, Baker, Baker's, he's, he's good. He's good enough to win a bunch of games, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't turn around. I don't think every NFL franchise would bow down for the opportunity right now to add Baker Mayfield thinking he makes them great. Well, they can't have him because he's Cleveland. So there you go. No, we got into that conversation yesterday because I was saying I, I don't. I think he's going to be a game manager this year. I if they're going, if the Browns are going to continue to view him as a game manager moving forward, yes, you can win with them. Alex Smith to me is the ultimate game manager that you can win a lot of games with. But it obviously took Patrick Mahomes to take the Chiefs to that next level. If the Browns only view Baker as a game manager, then they're always going to be having in the back of their head who else could we get out there that's going to take us to that next level. So that's why him and I. Got into that argument yesterday about I think it's a bad thing to be labeled that because if you are labeled as a game manager, you are not labeled as the, the franchise quarterback. And I think that's what Browns fans were hoping they got with Baker Mayfield. And, and that's a fair point. You know, I'll ask you the same question. I got asked sort of a gut punch question a couple of nights ago. Monday Night Football it was last night. So uh, before the game, I was talking to a couple of our analysts from ESPN. And I went to him as a Raiders fan and I said, give me, like, give me the real on Derek Carr because sometimes he's great. And sometimes he's awful, and I can't figure out who he is. And one of our analysts looked at me and said, let me ask you something. When they were down by two touchdowns, do you think Bill Belichick or any of the coaches for New England were standing on the sidelines saying, wait, 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 guys, they've got Derek Carr. That lead's not safe. Mm. And it hit me. It's like, no. And th so the, that's something I would challenge everybody to ask about their quarterback. I mean, do you believe that if you're a Browns fan and you're down by – 14 points with five minutes left. Do you believe that the opposing team is looking around and saying, oh, my God, we've got to get first downs because they've got Baker, and Baker can win this game for them. I, I mean, I don't think we've seen enough of Baker doing that to really feel it. I'm not saying that's out of the question for him, but he's got more to prove before he gets to that level of status, and that is a franchise quarterback.
Now, when you say that, I mean, I agree with you, except if it's the Atlanta Falcons asking that question. Yes, they truly believe that the Raiders <laughs> can come back. They believe anybody can come back. I think that's where we're at with that. Uh, last thing is we let you go. And J ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz, you can hear uh, ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. right here on 1410 ESPN Radio, one half of Spain and Fitz. And uh, I want to ask you about the Cincinnati Bengals, because yesterday I said that there's a stat about the Bengals and Joe Burrow that really alarms me, and right away everyone said, oh, it's the amount of times he's been hit. It's the amount of sacks 14 times he's been sacked it's the most in the nfl and i said actually the sacks are very concerning but that's not the number that i'm looking at that's really concerning the amount of the, the numbers that i'm looking at that really concern me are the amount of times he's thrown the ball he le he's the second in the national football league in total passes thrown and the reason i think that's a problem is is he keeps getting hit because every time he drops back, he has a horrible offensive line. Do you believe that Zach Taylor and the Bengals have a responsibility and maybe limiting how much they you know, allow him to throw the ball? Because every time he drops back, he's vulnerable, and he is getting not just hit, but hit hard. Yeah, a thousand percent. You're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I was sitting on the couch watching the, the Browns-Bengals game of, uh, on Thursday night a couple of weeks ago with Mike Ola Jr. And uh, when we reached the spot where Burrow was on whatever pass number 60 for that game, uh, Mike looked over at me and said, man, this is irresponsible. And that's the way it feels. They have the weapons. I know they don't have the offensive office line, but in theory they have the weapons to give themselves more ability to find a more rounded offense, and that's where Zach Taylor has to improve right now. I mean, he has to improve as an offensive signal caller, as a play caller, as somebody that can get there and put his quarterback in the right position. They've got to find a way to balance that offense out. Otherwise, they are hanging him out to dry to, just to get absolutely cremated every time he touches the ball. And I also would challenge that, you know, they've got to find a more creative way like uh, like they did at LSU, and I know they're working some of those concepts in. they got to find a creative way to get the ball out of his hand more more quickly in general because he is getting just pounded. And that's the offensive line is bad. The organization has to figure out how to better evaluate talent at the offensive line. But in the meantime, you can't get your quarterback killed, and that's what they're doing. Last one for me. Is Drew Brees done? That, that's important. <laughs> no, you know, like, you say it, and I like I feel gross with the, just the concept of it, but I kind of think so. Like, and, and this is reminiscent of any fan base. That, that you remember that day when you were sitting there watching one of your favorite quarterbacks, and all of a sudden they just look different. Everybody's gone through it where you look at that quarterback and it's like, man, I don't know what changed this year, but they hit a wall. And that it is true. I can't believe I'm saying it, and I don't want to bet against Drew Brees because – I believe in him so much, but, man, he has just not looked good. And the ball just sort of floats out ugly, and we're not used to seeing it. So, yeah, I, I, I'm concerned. I think that's a real concern this year, and I can't believe I'm saying it. But if, if he's done, too, things are going to fall off the wheels quickly for the Saints this year. I do have a follow-up. So just say, for instance, he is done, and they actually do something that – so hard to move on from a Hall of Fame quarterback like a Drew Brees, and they pull him. Are they really going to put Taysom Hill in, or are they going to put in the turnover machine, my guy, Jameis? ESPN's 30 for 30. <laughs> oh, man. I, you know what? Pride is the downfall of man. I think they're going to put in Taysom because at this point, Sean Payton is so dug in on that that, you know, I think they're at least going to give Taysom a shot. But don't, be, don't, don't sleep on Jameis. I mean, as has been pointed out by a couple people smartly, Teddy Bridgewater's value got escalated, even though he's just Teddy Bridgewater, got escalated to obscene levels for Teddy Bridgewater just because he was around the Saints organization. I think the same can happen for Jameis. And while we mocked the 30 interceptions, let's at least acknowledge the 30 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. So 
he can play. Uh, you know, it's just can he get smart? And, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to have an opportunity, but I think they're going to try Taysom Hill first. All right, ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz from Spain and Fitz, 7 to 9 weeknights right here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Going to hang out with us every Tuesday throughout the NFL season. Jason, thanks so much for your time. Always fun. Appreciate you guys. Have a great week. You too. Right. Take care. All right, good stuff there again. Uh, every Tuesday he'll be hanging out with us at 430. Uh, and he agreed with me. And Mike Golan Jr. agreed with me. And he also agreed with me about the game manager thing. That's fine, but mine was more important. And he also agreed with me about Drew Brees being done. Listen, we got we got a clock. We got to get out of here. We got we got a commercial break to get to. So I'm that, tired of always getting yelled at because Kev's always going to break late. So that would be two to two to one. Me. What, what, what? Oh, I'm late to the party. We're getting some notes to it. We're gonna get to the Facebook responses coming up. But I was being serious about that Bengals question. I do think that it is borderline irresponsible of Zach Taylor to continue to allow uh, Burrow to throw the ball that many times. I really do. Not because of his arm. Well, just because of his head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Everything. We'll be back in a moment. <laughs> All right, and we are back. Justin Kenner, Kevin Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station, 1410 Wing AM. ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz, he just joined us. That interview will be up at wingam.com. Also, make sure that you are subscribing and downloading the Justin Kenner Show podcast with Kevin Nash in your Apple iTunes and Google Play Store. The second that the show is done, it is automatically uploaded. And again, it's right there on your phone. You can go back and listen to it. Uh, all shows in their entirety, as well as select segments and all interviews are available for you there. Also, Head to wingam.com, click on the Watch ESPN Dayton tab, and you can go back and watch all previous episodes of the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash. There you will also find cutout video versions of the show and select segments, full interviews, full shows, everything. Again, the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash playlist is right there in the Watch ESPN Dayton tab. You can also... Watch the Keith Byers Show, Mondays from New to One, the Keith Byers Show, presented by Lee's Famous Recipe chicken. All right, we have a few minutes here as we close out the first hour. When we get to the top of the 5 o'clock hour, Kev Nash and I will give you our top five, bottom five NFL teams after week three is officially wrapped up. Last night, again, the Chiefs just dominating the Ravens, and uh, I, I was expecting a much closer matchup than that. Uh, someone, you know, I heard the morning show today with, uh, uh, you know, Jay Will, you know, Ke- uh, Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin talking about, you know, is this is, is Lamar and, and uh, you know, Mahomes the new Brady and, you know, Manning? Mm. I said, I don't think we're there yet um, because the gap between Brady and Peyton Manning was so thin. And I'm worried after last night that the gap between Lamar and Patrick maybe not be there. But again, I don't I, I don't want to say that we're overreacting to one game, but I do believe last night, I mean, it's a pattern starting to form. Lamar doesn't win big games. He wins a lot of games, but he's really good. I, I don't think the narrative is full-blown yet, uh, Kev, but I do believe that we are very close to the narrative being the way that narratives get formed in the NBA. Is Lamar Jackson close to being the James Harden of the NFL? And MV, Both have MVPs. Both are high-volume stat stuffers. Um, but can can the big one be one with them rocking it? You know what I mean? Like That's not a shot at Lamar. It's not even a shot at James Harden. James Harden, whether people want to admit it or not, statistically one of the best of all time. You can't deny that. You can't deny it. But I don't think anyone looks at James Harden and thinks you could build a championship team around him. I think the doubt's starting to creep in now. And I think Lamar's not there yet. But, Kev, if we go another year where they win 12, 13 games and get ousted in the first round of the playoffs, now all of a sudden we have our James Harden in the NFL. 
That's tough. That's a tough one. Um, for me, I just look at it as, and I've I've always said things like this: Lamar and Patrick aren't playing against each other. They're not matching up. They're matching up against each other's defense. And I am. I was shocked at the way that he was able to carve up the Ravens' defense like that. They weren't getting any pressure, and when they did get pressure, he got the ball out so fast. And I mean, some of these play calls that. Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid are coming up with like they're coming out there, going to the offensive tackle, shovel passes to the fullback. Normally, you like you see a shovel pass to a running back or a shovel pass to a wide receiver that's coming around or whatever. They're they're drawing up plays like the little giants out there, man. Like they the annexation they, of Puerto Rico. Facts. That's what they're out there doing, man. And like they're like mad, two mad scientists out there. And and we knew that. We knew that was going to happen. We know how explosive. The offense is, you know, they're getting the ball not only to Tyreek Hill and to Sammy Watkins and Travis Kelsey and Clyde Hilera, but they're also starting to use uh, Miko Harmon from Georgia. So the amount of weapons that they have is scary. But the scariest part is the defense. The defense, they're getting pressure on the quarterback. Maybe it's not what you expect from them, but like, you know, Frank Clark from Michigan by way of Cleveland, Ohio, He's getting pressure constantly. He's always in the backfield, be it running plays, be it pass plays. Like, Lamar got yards and danced around and tried to make extend plays, but his hustle was there. And then, not only that, your tight end dropped, two, dropped one touchdown pass. For sure, he dropped one touchdown pass. He dropped a critical third down pass. Uh, in the first quarter. So all those plays start mounting up. And when you're playing up against an offense like that, just like the fastest show on turf with the Rams back in the day, if you don't score, if you're not keeping pace at least, they're going to pull away from you. And that's exactly what happened to them last night. You know, that uh, the Ravens mounted a little comeback because uh, I actually turned it off and started watching something else for a hot second. And then when I turned it back on, they scored a touchdown to cut it to uh, 27-20. I was like, okay, we got a game here. And KC went right back down the field and made it 14. So when a team can basically score at will, and not only score at will, score at will so fast and so efficiently, the pressure that is putting on the other team's offense to keep pace, I think that forces them to press. And and like when you don't convert those third downs and you got to give it right back to them, you're in a world of hurt. You're in a world of trouble, man. That team is scary. Now, I don't think they're going to go 16-0 and or anything like that, but... You know, if any team could do it, this might be the team to do it. This is scary good. I I was blown away how they carved up the Ravens' defense. Here's the deal. Harbaugh's job is on the line. Huh? And I know you're – I think – here's my guesstimation for next year. A year and a half ago, Harbaugh was announced to be stepping away from the team after the season. Yes. That was a respectful parting of ways – you know, rather than ultimately firing him, it was a way to make it look like it was a mutual split. They have the quarterback change, Joe Flacco out, Lamar Jackson comes in, they just win a string of games towards the end, no one gave the Ravens a shot, and the next thing you know, boom, the Ravens are on the pl- What the hell was that? Sorry, it scared the crap out of me. What is that? <laughs> I think it's a computer about to blow up. <laughs> Literally, everyone watching just saw me about crap my pants on, you know, on the that was That was terrifying, whatever the heck that just was. Something about just exploded in the in the studio. So, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens win a string of games, okay? They, they take off. And 
it saved his job. All of yes. a sudden, you didn't hear about you know them parting ways at the end. Come back the next year, they win the division. Lamar wins MVP. Mm-hmm. But there's two straight years where they've been ousted in the first round. Two straight years where they don't look like they do in the regular season. If that if that happens again, that's three straight years with Harbaugh being the coach, and Lamar's too good for them to move on from Lamar. You're gonna have to move on from Harbaugh. And you just talked about the rivalry, or we were talking about the potential rivalry between the Chiefs and Ravens. You know how you create a rivalry? You go pull someone from that side. There's a certain coach that we've been waiting to get a job in the National Football League, and if I'm the Baltimore Ravens, I'm knocking on the enemy's door yesterday saying, hey, I'm not wanting to hire you this moment. But we want to be the first in line. And by the way, if the Baltimore Ravens do look to hire the enemy, there's not a team out there that is sexier than the Baltimore Ravens. Can you imagine a enemy offense? With Lamar Jackson, then can you imagine the rivalry between Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes? That's all I'm saying. Keep an eye on that. Now, the Ravens have some winnable games moving forward. They have a lot of winnable games moving forward. They still have, you know, another one with the Browns. They're going to trounce the Browns. They have the Bengals twice. They're going to trounce the Bengals twice. Uh, You know, we're really going to learn who they are against the Steelers, a divisional opponent who's sitting at the top. That's my prediction. It's not that Harbaugh's not a good coach. It's that Harbaugh's leash was already coming up short anyways. You extended the leash, and now you had three years of Harbaugh and Lamar where, okay, the pattern's developing of Lamar maybe not being able to win the big one with Harbaugh, but if Biennemi opens up that offense and they're not so predictable offensively, you know, that that could be a thing. I, all I'm saying is look out. I, if I had to predict where Biennemi ends up next year, it's not going to be the Falcons. It won't be the Titans or anywhere else. Not that the Titans were looking for a coach, but I'm just saying I do believe that the Ravens, who no one's talking about it now, but I do believe that. And, you know, when I do have a great observation, Dean McDonald says great observation, Kenner. I think it's pretty good. And I, I, for once, I think I got you. I think I, will, I got you. I will admit, that's not a bad take. Ah, that's not a bad take. The show's take. done, folks. We're calling it a night. <laughs> I work hard to get that reaction right there. Dean McDonald, I'm not ignoring you either. He has a Reds question that we're going to get to, and now we're number three uh, as well. Um, and and uh, my dad says you had an OBJ moment. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it looks oh, like I, you. you know, yeah, looks like I, diaper action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, hour three, next. Justin Kenner Show, live here on ESPN Dayton. All right, and we are back. Justin Kenner, Kev Nash with you here on a Tuesday. And uh, the week already rolling along. Week four, the NFL season kicks off on Thursday. Tomorrow's show, of course, will focus a lot on the Cincinnati Reds, hopefully talking about a game one win over the Braves. Trevor Bauer on the mound. Noon will be the first pitch, a 12 p.m. first pitch tomorrow. Game one of the National League wildcard series between the Braves and Reds. Trevor Bauer on the mound. Hopefully we're talking about a 1-0 series lead for your Cincinnati Reds. On Thursday, uh, hopefully we're talking about the Cincinnati Reds sweeping the series. Maybe, maybe. Who knows? We'll talk some baseball coming up here uh, in just a moment. I have a couple Reds questions in the Facebook feed that we'll get into. Just a reminder that every time uh, you uh, leave a comment in the chat section, we will respond to it. We will interact with it. Uh, just give us time. we got to go through and sift through them. But, again, we'll be able to pull your Facebook profile picture with your comment into the broadcast. Search The Justin Kinner Show on Facebook. Listen, stream, and now watch The Justin Kinner Show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Listen at 1410 Wing AM. Stream at wingam.com. And now 
now. Watch us live on Facebook on the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash Facebook page and on the ESPN Dayton YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to, and I highly encourage you to do that right now. All right, so uh, we were talking about, of course, the Chiefs and the Ravens game last night, and I need to go back to my really, really great, awesome point that I don't have many often. No, but we were talking about the Ravens, you know, is the is the uh, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson the new Tom Brady and, you know, Peyton Manning? And I don't think so yet. I th- it had that feel to start, but again, they, people keep talking about that kryptonite, that the Chiefs are the Ravens' kryptonite. Well, let's be, let's be real here. The Chiefs have been so dominant since Patrick Mahomes arrived and under the, you know, in that offense with Andy Reid, that to me, it's a situation where they're everyone's kryptonite. Mm-hmm. They're just that good. This might be one of the best NFL teams we've seen in a while. Now, there's two different kinds of good. There's that New England Patriots good. You know what I mean? Like, Kind of like in the NBA, there's that San Antonio Spurs good. Maybe not right now, but you never once looked at those Spurs teams, Kevin, and thought, oh, man, that's the team that you want to avoid. You wanted to avoid them, but you never circled them. You were always focused on the the Golden State War, like the flashier teams, right? right? And the, the Golden State Warriors dynasty never really the overlapped Lakers, with the, the but the, the Lakers, yeah, team, the team that so, everybody talks about, yeah. And that's kind of like who the Chiefs are, except the difference between the Chiefs and those high, like the Phoenix Suns in the early two thousands or the mid two thousands, right? When you had the Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, and you had those guys, like that was the team that man, they were like the Phoenix, they they were like the Kansas City Chiefs, right? They were high, so explosive. You know, the guy running the floor that was just literally, they looked different than everybody else. The Chiefs looked different than everybody else. But the Chiefs are scarier because they look different than anybody else, but they don't really have a weakness that you can say that's why they're not going to win a Super Bowl. The reason people say that they're not going to win a Super Bowl this year is because it's difficult to repeat winning Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. It's not because of team weaknesses, right? Like, you look at New England, you look at a lot of these other dynasty-type teams, and it's like there's a lot of flaws. The Ravens have a – they have – two glaring flaws and one of them is is they cannot come from behind they have yet to be able to prove that they can come from behind and win they need a few games with the falcons to maybe get some confidence under their belt a little bit right um so that's the thing i don't i don't know if moving forward i'm going to get all butterflies in my stomach watching patrick mahomes and lamar jackson until we start seeing the ravens get some big wins over big teams that's why i think pittsburgh's so important we watched baltimore dominate last year kevin but we never saw them beat that team Hell, they even lost to Cleveland once. Mm. But when they did beat Pittsburgh, Kevin, it wasn't Pittsburgh. It wasn't Blitzburgh. It's Blitzburgh this year. Yeah. You, the offense is pretty good for Pittsburgh. So when they start getting some wins over Pittsburgh, I will start buying in more. But the Ravens are not my Super Bowl. I don't even anticipate a rematch between the Ravens and the Chiefs in the AFC title game until I see what they can do against the Steelers. That's kind of where I'm at on that. Another reason why that game was so big was... This year, only the number one seed gets to buy in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if the Ravens are as good as everybody thinks they are, they're going to be the number two team. But they'll be still be playing open and weak. So that's something to think about. Um, also, you know, Kansas City is one of the few teams in the NFL who allows fans into their, their stadium. So they I got a leg up on everybody, you know. So the AFC championship is going to have to go through Kansas City right now. So that's one thing. But you look at the matchup, you know, between the Chiefs and the Ravens, it's the fact that they can't get ahead and use that power running game and use those play-action fakes to take those deep shots. And when you are taking those seam shots with the tight end, he's dropping the ball. Like, I know 
you as a Browns fan would wish he would have dropped some of those passes against the Browns, but I don't know. Like, he dropped passes against the Titans in the playoffs last year, too. So it's not only Lamar having bad games. His weapons are letting him down. Fair. His defense is letting him down. And, I mean... Where like, was that energy with Baker Mayfield last year? But keep going. Keep oh, going. Dude, for you, oh, I'm all over. That's, that's all I do. That's true. That's all and I do. And then I get mad because you make fun of him. So <laughs> just forget the Browns. Keep going. Talk about the Ravens. <laughs> so, but like, I, obviously, Lamar having a bad game is the standout point. But the defense being carved up, for me, personally, is the number one thing. Because when you think about the Baltimore Ravens, you think about defense. The first person that comes to mind when you say the Ravens is Ray Lewis. Second person, Ed Reed. Like, third person, Terrell Suggs. You know, (laughs) like, those are the names that come to mind when you talk about the Ravens. It's a while before you talk about an offensive player. Yeah, the most popular offensive player, and I'm not being funny here, Ray Rice, just because of the the news coverage he got for all the wrong reasons. You don't think offense when you think Baltimore. Right. Uh, But that's why earlier when we talked about you know, be enemy. I do believe like this would be year three if the Ravens don't get it done this year with Harbaugh. And stop me if you've heard this one before. Harbaugh's you know job should be on the line. Harbaugh's a great coach, by the way. And if they did move on from him, it's not as if he's a terrible coach. He would be picked up very quickly, and he should be picked up very quickly. My point though is, is it? And by the way, the Bengals. The Bengals would be a great landing spot for Harbaugh. Oh, I'm just going to keep connecting the pieces here. This is what's going to happen. Hear me See, out. See, you give him an inch, yep, he takes yep. a mile. Oh man. yeah, oh yeah. So the Cincinnati Bengals are going to fire that 12 year old that they have running the team, who's won what 16 and one now, or oh, you know two. Oh, sorry, two, two, 16 and one. They need to move on from him because he's about to get Joe Burrow killed. He's about to get, I mean, he's about to end Joe Burrow's career. So they're going to need a coach over in Cincinnati, and I think that the perfect coach in Cincinnati is definitely going to be hardball for that situation. So then the Ravens need a coach. That's where you bring in Biennemi. Can you imagine what Biennemi could do with that offense with Lamar Jackson running everything? That will be unreal. That's what I think is going to unfold. We had ESPN's Jason Fitz on with us just a little bit ago, and we were talking about that very same thing with the Bengals. And I will say this, Kevin, uh, we talked about the, uh, the what would you call uh, Baker, the game manager. Yes. Uh, you know, So you were right on that, but I got told I was right about the, the usage of um, you know, Joe Burrow. I think that the Bengals are totally being uh, irresponsible with how they are handling Joe Burrow. Uh, I think that Joe Burrow has no business being second in the league in total passes, especially when the number one concern we have is how much he keeps getting hit. Well, you may not be able to protect him because you can't just make that offensive line better overnight, but what you can do is limit how much he has the chances of getting hit by limiting how much he throws. doesn't mean you'd never throw the ball, but you also will not convince me that it's okay to throw the ball 141 times in a season where he's been hit 14, which is way more than anybody else. So that's where we had that conversation earlier. But here's the deal. Zach Taylor is not worried about Joe Burrow. Zach Taylor knows that if he protects Joe Burrow and doesn't throw the ball that Zach Taylor is going to be gone anyways. Zach Taylor right now is trying to throw the ball a lot to spot the offensive line because Zach Taylor cares about one thing and one thing only. It's not about Joe Burrow. Zach Taylor's not going to protect Joe Burrow just so Zach Taylor could be fired. Joe, Zach Taylor keeps calling the plays for Joe Burrow to throw the ball because Zach Taylor's trying to win as many games as he can to keep his job. But you're not going to win games with this group right now. And it's not because Joe Burrow's not good. It's not because A.J. Green's not A.J. Green. It's because of that offensive line. I think this team could win even with a very average A.J. Green. That's how good this offense has the potential of being if they had an offensive line. But Zach Taylor 
is being very reckless with Joe Burrow. And I wish Bengals fans, if anyone else was saying this, I think you would hear it different. But because it's me, you think I'm taking a shot at them. I'm not. The bottom line is, is that I think that it is totally reckless of Zach Taylor to be playing Joe Burrow the way he is. He's going to get him killed. And I don't think he cares because Zach Taylor knows I'm 216-1. and one. I'm not keeping this job anyway. I'm not going to try and protect Joe Burrow. I need to win some games to at least make my resume look better for if I ever want to coach again. He don't care about the future of he doesn't care about the future of Joe Burrow, not one little tiny bit. You act like he's out here running QB power. You act, you act like he's running looking like Ohio State offense with JT where he's running a ball 25 times. He's not. He's not. The best way for them to win is to get the ball into their playmakers' hands, and their best playmakers are wide receivers because they are so deep at the wide receiver position. They're five deep. They got five very not talented I agree. wide receivers. And they, how you get them the ball is passing the ball. Do they mm-hmm. need to protect Joe better? Absolutely. Yep. Does Joe need to get the ball out of his hands faster? Absolutely. So it's a give and take. It can't all be just like all on the coach. Joe got to get the ball out of his hands faster. And he's also got to hit that deep ball when it's there. He missed uh, one against the Browns. He missed one against Philly. He's now 0 for 6 on deep passes. So hit those passes. Not that simple. When you're running for your life and you're a rookie. No, no, no. no. Yeah, the, he was the, not he, that simple. He was, the, the one against the Browns, clean pocket. The one against Philly, clean pocket. He missed the pass. So, uh, my, with that being said, you're right. They To win games. Is winning four to five worth it if it means you have risk and injury to your quarterback that could be out for next season? Because winning long term is very important, not just winning this season. Is winning five or six games so important this year at the risk of losing Joe Burrow for the rest of this year? Maybe a, a career ending injury. I'm being so dramatic, but hey, it's 2020. We're all being dramatic. So, you know, it is what it is at this point. So, again, I would be saying this about any quarterback and any team out there. I was even saying this. I thought that, you know, I, th- I it was the opposite. I thought Harbaugh was being reckless with Lamar his rookie year, just basically saying, hey, we don't have very good of an offense right now. Just run. Just run. And he was just letting him run and run. And what were we doing at that time? You know, we were doing that whole the running quarterback thing don't work. It's kind of funny how now that's why I believe if there's a slight chance that Justin Fields could be drafted ahead of Trevor Lawrence, it's going to be what Justin Fields could do making plays with his feet, even though Trevor Lawrence did run for 100 yards on Ohio State's oh great defense goodness. last year. But anyways, that's besides the point. It's besides the point. My point is I thought it was reckless the way the Ravens handled Lamar Jackson two years ago, and I think it's reckless what the Bengals are doing now. Yes, you got to throw the ball to win but there comes a point where every time you drop him back to the you really need to throw the ball 140 times a lot of other teams are finding out ways to throw the ball a lot and win games i don't know i'm just saying it's reckless it just is reckless to me i got nothing man hey mike Golick jr agreed with me jason uh, fitz agreed with me okay i heard from bobby carpenter earlier he agrees with me Did he? that's all i need yes that's what, all i need carp say he said he know about joe burrow he's throwing the ball way too much that until they protect him, they need to stop putting him back, especially in that shotgun formation, too, where teams are just getting a blitz line on him. Put him under center a little bit. Not their offense. It's not who Zach Taylor is, so it doesn't make sense. But there's really no way for this to make sense other than for Joe Burrow to get hurt. The best thing that can happen to Joe Burrow is a slight hamstring tweak that puts him out for a couple of weeks. That's the best chance he has of being protected. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious. He is going to have a, I mean, a Joe Theismann moment. He is going to be destroyed if he keeps up at this pace. I don't care how tough he is. That cigar smoking thing, I mean, I want to see that in week five on the sideline, just relaxing. Down 28 nothing, and him just there with the cigar saying, I get, to, I get to keep playing moving forward, man. Get him out of there. Get him out of there. So start tanking already, huh? I mean, 
look, I mean, them trying to win looks like tanking too. So, oh my goodness, they did tie this week. You know what they should do? They when they end up with one of the worst records, they should draft Trevor Lawrence as well. That way, whenever Zach Taylor gets Joe Burrow just obliterated, they at least have a good backup quarterback ready to go. As far as that, all right, let's do a little top five. Bottom five teams in the NFL. Who are your top teams in the NFL? Your top five? Who's your bottom five in the NFL? That's the music, and that's what we're going to pick up with on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. More of the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. When we come back, Doug Sphere on, on uh, YouTube. I'm going to get to your comments. He has a couple things on Andy Reid and Joe Mixon. Ron Moreland, I see your your message as well. Doug Morgan, Facebook, YouTube, React. Come back, plus our top five, bottom five. Don't go anywhere. football. They had their game against Wake Forest postponed this past week. They don't play this weekend. In fact, they don't play again, Kevin, until Florida State on October <laughs> not 10th. not playing then either. <laughs> on October 10th. They ain't going to have to play then either. The way my nose look, going to be a nice, easy walk in the park. Well, right now, the only opponent that uh, Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, are facing is COVID. So they faced COVID last week, facing COVID again this week, and uh, they will have Florida State coming up here in a few weeks. But I thought that was interesting as far as that is concerned. All right, everybody, we welcome you back. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash with you here on a Tuesday. Um, we are live on Facebook. Go to Facebook and search the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Follow along, and uh, every time you comment in the chat section, we are able to pull it into the show your little uh, profile picture will be displayed and uh, your comment as well so you can interact with us that way uh, doug morgan on facebook says baker is not a manager he's more like a server serving interceptions on the regular well make sure you tip him well Dwayne Haskins was quite the server this past weekend. Holy smokes. That was ugly. All right. On YouTube, because you can uh, follow along live on Facebook. You can watch us live on YouTube as well. Doug Sphere on on YouTube says, Andy Reid was really good in Philly with McNabb, but he's even better with Mahomes. This is the shift from the AFC East to, you know, to KC dominance uh, right now. As far as that's concerned, I mean, absolutely. I mean, right now, I mean, that's you talked a lot about those NFC teams, of course, and you know the Patriots for the face of the AFC. And you start the Patriots mixed in there, and the Ravens would pop up from time to time. But absolutely, uh, but the AFC, the face of the AFC, even with the Patriots still winning games, in uh, you're going to see in my top five, I'm a little friendly with the Patriots coming up. But uh, the Kansas Kansas City, not just the face of the AFC, they are obviously the face of the National Football League right now behind Patrick Mahomes. I mean, there's no bigger star in the league right now than Patrick Mahomes. As far as that's concerned, Doug, uh, again on YouTube, says Joe Mixon agrees that the Bengals are passing too much, or does he? Look, I don't think Joe Mixon thinks the Bengals are passing too much, because as Kev pointed out, Joe, Joe Mixon gets a pretty hefty amount of carries. Joe Mixon's not starving. He needs to, and it's, I don't even want to say he needs to do a better job with the carries he's getting, because I think right now, just like Burrow's job is being impacted by that offensive line. I think Mixon's is. The problem with giving Mixon the benefit of that doubt is is two years ago when he led the AFC in rushing, Kevin, that year that uh, Le'Veon Bell sat out with the Steelers because mm-hmm. most likely he would have probably been the you know leading rusher that year had he played with Pittsburgh. But um, Joe Mixon was the leading rusher in the AFC that year, and that offensive line was just as bad as this one. Um, but obviously... That offensive line was probably bad in different ways. Pass blocking was bad, but obviously clearly a lot better at run blocking, which is what allowed Joe Mixon to have the year that he did. Maybe. I think we can give him the benefit of the doubt as far as that is 
concerned. Ron Moreland on Facebook says Duke Tobin needs to be fired and the Bengals might just go 0-15-1. Shake my head. They would draft another quarterback because throwing Joe arm, throwing Joe's arm will be so sore and needs surgery. Okay, Ron, I'm going to talk you off the ledge. As crazy as this sounds and as much as I take shots at them, I really don't think that they are that far off after what we've seen from Joe Burrow who has shown tremendous stride already in three weeks in. His poise in the pocket, even if it is for that half a second before he's running for his life, um, he doesn't look like a rookie quarterback at times. Like It actually surprises me how comfortable he looks. And he's not comfortable because he's a rookie. He's only going to get more comfortable. He looks comfortable, but I promise you he's not. And when he, do- when he has that look mixed with the true emotions of being comfortable, he's only going to get better if he's still able to walk and talk and do all those things. I'm hoping he's not eating his food through a tube because the Bengals are too stupid to be able to figure out that they need to get him an offensive line. I think that's a little extreme. I think that the, the, the Bengals still have a shot to win a couple games this year. Um, they should have won this past weekend. They could be 2-1. and one. And they were, they were a couple plays away against the Browns. Yeah. They could easily be 3-0. and oh. But that's why, Bengals fans, you need to be more angry. You need to be more upset. Uh, I'm seeing way too many wishy-washy people on Sunday saying, man, I really wish this offensive line was good, but man, Joe Burrow looked good. Be excited about Joe Burrow, but be angry. Because the only way you're going to get through to that front office over there is by letting your emotions be heard and and be known. And it sucks this year because of COVID because you can't go on strike buying tickets to games. But man, that's one way to get through to him because that's really kind of what ultimately put the pressure on the Bengals and and the Brown family to begin with. But holy smokes, man, Like you got to be angry. This team, if they even had an average offensive line, they're 2-1, and Kevin. Yeah. Even with this bad offensive line, they could be 2-1. They're right there. They're right there. I'm willing to admit that. They should have won in week one. They could have won in overtime, even actually probably even it shouldn't even have taken overtime. So, and then the Browns, they that Browns game might be a more competitive finish if they have an offensive line. But he was getting hit hard, and there were some turnovers down the stretch. But that was because you know Joe Burrow running for his life. So I'm giving a lot of compliments here to the Bengals, saying, "Hey, I know they're close." And to be fair, for those that think I do hate the Bengals too much, you were giving me crap back in what July. Because we were given our predictions for the AFC North. I said that the Bengals were good enough to win eight to nine games if Joe Burrow was going to live up to the hype. Um, he had the offensive weapons that any rookie quarterback would kill to have. You think Sam, Dar- Sam Darnold would have killed to have the weapons that Joe Burrow does in Cincinnati. Now, Sam Darnold would be killed if he had the offensive line that Joe Burrow does. <laughs> so the bottom line is, is that I believe the Bengals have talent, which is why you should be even more angry. Like Sam Darnold could be angry with the Jets for not having talent. But what the Bengals should, fans really should be upset about is that they're losing with talent because the Bengals chose to ignore the offensive line. Period. Point blank. That's all I have to say about that. It's not the first time I've said it. Definitely, as you guys know, won't be the last. All right, let's take a look at our top five, bottom five of the National Football League. Kev Nash's top five. That's where we will get started. Kev Nash, who are your top five teams in the National Football League as week three has officially wrapped up last night? All right, number five, the Tennessee Titans staying there at number five. Great comeback win on Sunday versus the Vikings, 31 to 30. I thought they were going to be headed towards a L, but they came back and won. Your guy, Tanny Hill, passed them to victory, by the way, since you love to bash on him. No touchdowns, interception. Great job. Yeah, they got inside the five. They ran it in with their power running game. Yep, game manager. Great job. Yeah, Keep he's, going. A, he's a game manager for sure, winning games. Uh, number four, the Ravens. 
not going to overreact to them getting blown out by the best team in football. They were in my top five last week. They'll remain in my top five. Not going to overreact to what happened last night. Number three, moving up in the world, Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers, still balling. Guess what? Aaron Jones, still balling. They're here. The pack is here. Get ready. Discount double check. Number two, my guy, Russell Wilson. Possibly the two best wins in the NFL this season from the Seahawks with wins over the Patriots and the Cowboys. So I got them at number two. And obviously, number one, the champs. Doing what the champs do. Not only putting up you a lot Kansas of points. You think Kansas City's good? <laughs> <laughs> Not only putting False. up points, but they're shutting down offenses too with that defense, man. So shouts out to the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, that's Kev Nash's top five. Let's take a look at Kev Nash's bottom five teams in the NFL real quick. Kev Nash's top five teams in the NFL. Kev Nash has the Chiefs at number one, the Seahawks at number two, and Rodgers and the Packers coming in at number three. The Ravens only drop into four on Kev Nash's top five list, and the Tennessee Titans with the ultimate game manager Ryan Tanhill leading the way <laughs> at number five. So that's Kev Nash's top five in the NFL. Who are your bottom five if you're watching live on Facebook? You can see the list right here. Again, we're live on Facebook. Search the Justin Kinner Show. Follow along. Kev, your bottom five. Who are they? Uh, number five, the Lions. Even though they got a thirty-two. Good... Remember, we go thirty-two. Oh, the, the, the worst, the bottom five teams, man. Oh, okay, fine, okay. fine, fine. Fair enough. The worst team in the NFL. Hello, zero and sixteen will be the New York Jets, and then possibly going two and fourteen will be the New York Giants. <laughs> So those are one and two or the worst teams. And then jumping up there big time is the Washington football team. Congratulations. The Washington Buckeyes. Um, with Chase Young getting hurt with a little uh, injury to his uh, groin, him stepping out of the Browns game, uh, and watching my guy Dwayne Haskins look completely lost out there when it came to passing the ball. If he's not throwing to his first read, he's throwing an interception. And I feel bad for him, but it's exactly what we all said when he got drafted to that franchise. He's doomed. Yep, and we said the same thing about Joe Burrow. <laughs> you said that about Joe Burrow. I didn't. And I said it loud and proud, baby. All right, who else? You got uh, Washington coming in at number 30. Yeah, and then we got the Vikings, 0-3. The reason they're up there, because they haven't won the game and they have so much talent. They have Dalvin Cook. They have uh, Justin Jefferson. They got Adam Thielen. There's no reason they should be 0-3 besides that their quarterback is a bum. I don't care how many numbers he puts up. I don't care how much money he – well, I do care about how much money he got in the bank. Shouts out to his agent. But Kirk Cousins is a bum. He's not a good quarterback. I don't care what the numbers say. He don't do it for me. Uh, and number – going in at number five, whatever, uh, the Lions – Shouts out to the Lions. They're moving up, down. I don't even know how this works. But they're no longer in the top three worst teams in the NFL. They got a win over the Arizona Cardinals over the weekend. So, shouts out to the Lions. All right. So, there you go. One more time. Kev Nash's bottom five. The Jets, the Giants, the, from worst to, well, I guess first in the bottom five. But, I mean, not really first to do anything. The Jets, the Giants, Washington, Minnesota, and the Detroit Lions. That's the bottom five for Kev Nash. So, one more time. Kev Nash's top five. The Chiefs, Seahawks, Packers, Ravens, Tennessee, Titans, one through five. The top five teams in Kev Nash's NFL. And then his bottom five teams, the Jets, Giants, Washington, Vikings, and Detroit. All right. We'll move on. By the way, we are live on Facebook. Go to Facebook. Search the Justin Kinner Show. We're giving you our top five. Bottom five. Let's hear from those of you who are watching on Facebook and watching on YouTube. Leave us in the comment section. Who are your top five? Who are your bottom five? 
And who do you think that Kevin and I are just absolutely crazy for having in either our top or bottom five? Plus, we'll open up the phone lines at 457-9464. All right, so that's Kev Nash's top five, bottom five. Let's take a look at, well, the Justin Kinner top five. I have the Kansas City Chiefs all the way up at number one. No surprise there. I think anyone who doesn't have them there is a fool. Yes, everyone can have an opinion. But, I mean, seriously, if you don't have the Chiefs at number one, your opinion doesn't count. I don't care if that sounds mean. The Chiefs, there's no way around it. There is no team in the NFL that is playing better, looks better, or is better than the reigning, defending, Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Coming in at number two on the Justin Kinner top five list, the Green Bay Packers. Significant jump. But what I'm looking at right now is we spent so much time talking about all the negativity that surrounded the Packers in the offseason after they drafted Jordan Love and they haven't provided Aaron Rodgers with any offensive weapons as far as in the first round of the draft since drafting Aaron Rodgers. This team just continues to win. The relationship between LaFleur, the head coach, and Aaron Rodgers, that's one of the, the chemistry between those two is top-notch right now. Not only are they playing at a high level offensively, but they're playing at a high level defensively. Mm-hmm. They, we want, let's talk consistency. All right, there's a lot of inconsistent teams three weeks in, and that you cannot say that about the Chiefs, and you definitely cannot say that about the Packers. Coming in at number three on my top five list, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I was very, I, I was weighing in on whether to put them at two or three, um, but defensively, this is not your typical Seattle Seahawks defense. They are a good defense, but they lack that pass rush. I think that's why losing out, not keeping Jadavion Clowney or making it an effort to keep him, and they did, but they didn't bend over backwards to make sure that they kept him. You're seeing the significance of not having a pass rush in Jadavion Clowney. I think that's really hurting Seattle. And Jamal Adams got hurt. Yep. So that having those two right there is really impacting them. But because we've seen Russell Wilson, who was already one of the a top five quarterback coming into the year, a top five quarterback who then takes another big step forward. If the season ended today, he's the MVP. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks top three team in the National Football League, no doubt about it. Coming in at number four, your Pittsburgh Steelers. Again, this is very similar to what I was talking about with the Green Bay Packers. It's all about consistency. And there's really not a lot of teams that have been more consistent three weeks into the season than the Pittsburgh Steelers. You could just tell that they have a veteran leader running the offense. They look night and day different from a year ago. They were an eight-win team last year with the circus that was the rotating clock between the quarterbacks. And, you know, and Duck Hodges uh, and and Mason Rudolph at that point. So, you know, it's just one of those things where you could just tell the impact that, you know, that Big Ben has had on Pittsburgh. My top five, Kansas City at number one, Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers at number two, number three, the Seattle Seahawks, number four, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and number five, who I am putting in over the Buccaneers, and yes, I'm going to say it, even over the Ravens, and this will be a short-lived, this will be a short-lived theme on this top five list if they don't perform well against the Chiefs this weekend, the New England Patriots. I have the New England Patriots at number five. And just on the outside, I do it. Ron's losing his mind. But I have the Bucks. I have the Bucks on the outside looking in. Uh, the Ravens are still holding on by a hair right there too. Um, you know, six A and six B. It's the Bucks and the Ravens. But the Patriots, you got to give it to them, man. I mean, the way they they even have a loss. I'm still giving it to them because the way the offense has just continued to improve each week. Cam Newton showing he still has it, and that's not a lot of talent there. But I do believe by the deadline. Whether it is OBJ, could be Julio Jones from the Falcons. Let's be clear, we haven't heard that yet. But the Falcons, you've been holding on to that core for a while, and it's gotten you nothing. Dude, do you know that is they've been together 11 seasons? Yeah. I didn't think about that until yeah. so they said it on ESPN the other day. Julio Jones and Matty Ice have been together 11 seasons. 
Like, and it feels like it's like a new thing, but no, it's that's a long time. Yes. I, Julio Jones, they could move on from him, and they probably should if they need to get a draft pick. I think that the, the, you know, the Falcons could be that. I also think the Browns should explore moving on from OBJ. I don't want to accept it, but you're right. I watched Baker play a really, really, really good game for a game manager on Sunday. He threw the, for 156 yards. It was a very efficient game for Baker Mayfield. But if you look at the top five lists right here, you know what all five of these teams have in common? They have elite quarterbacks. Baker still has a shot to become an elite quarterback, maybe. But as of right now, he's not an elite quarterback. When you have to baby an offense for a quarterback because he has too many deficiencies, that's a problem. I love Baker. I'll always be a Baker defender, but I'm acknowledging the fact that he has a lot of flaws. So for me, you look at this top five, it's all elite quarterbacks. And the Browns, there's no need. If you're going to be a game-managing offensive system that's focusing on the run, you don't need OBJ. You don't need OBJ. Go get a sec- get a secondary, get some draft picks, do what you got to do. But I think the Patriots are only going to get better, Kevin. I think they're going to add an elite wide receiver before it's all said and done. Edelman and Cam Newton's been great. Mm-hmm. But man, I man. mean, you know, we talked about Tom Brady didn't have weapons last year, and I was I was a big proponent of that wasn't true, and I just think he needs a certain type of weapon. I think he needs a certain type of a elite yep. weapon, and he has elite weapons in Tampa Bay. We saw Cam Newton go to the Super Bowl with Carolina without elite weapons. And we're seeing him ball right now without, quote-unquote, elite weapons. You know, Edelman's running routes that he hasn't run before. He's running deep deep routes. He's running fly routes. And we always said, hey, Tom Brady, he's working with what he has. But I think they were working with what they had. And Tom Brady's a great quarterback. We're not dissing him. But you're right. There was limitations there. There's not as many limitations. The Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Back to the famous WYNG studios. Here's Justin Kinner and Kev Nash. All right, as we close this show out, we appreciate everyone who's been tuning in and hanging out with us today, whether it's on air, online, or on Facebook and YouTube. Again, you can watch the show daily. Uh, you can watch the show daily from three to six on ESPN Dayton's uh, Facebook page, the Justin Kinner Show Facebook page, and of course on the YouTube channel, ESPN Dayton's YouTube channel. Go and subscribe to that. Let's uh, close out with a call. Let's go to Dickie. Dickie, what's up, man? Dickie. Hey, Justin and the kid, Tim, how are you, buddy? Hey, uh, Tim and I are doing great. How are you? You doing good, good? Justin, oh, aren't you? I'm, I'm, I'm in heaven. How about them Browns? How about the two and one, baby? It's been a oh, while since they've been about 500. Man, this is good. And Cleveland is in the uh, the playoffs. Boy, something's going going right, buddy. For I mean, absolutely. they got the Cowboys coming up. How do you feel about the Cowboys? I think they can do it. I do. I think they'll beat them. Cowboys a four-and-a-half-point favorite. It's a winnable game, according to Vegas. So it's there you go. It's a winnable game. Yeah, and, and this is this is good. This is good to build on. And if the Indians – I'm a little bit weary, though. You know, I, I, I'm weary about the Yankees. They always have trouble with them. Yeah, well, the Yankees are good, but the Yankees are uh, banged up, too. They're, it's not your typical Yankees team. Again, they're playing with what they have. Look, I think the Indians have a good shot. I mean, look, this is a team that's moved on from Trevor Bauer, yeah. from Kluber, Clevenger, and they still have, uh, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball leading the way as the face of their staff. So, How about you, the Reds? What do you think about the Reds? I think they're going to beat the Braves. you think the Indians will beat the Yankees? I hope so. And I'll tell you another thing I'm impressed about. Joe Burrow has almost got the Bengals' victories, hadn't he? Absolutely. They're almost 3-0. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to tell you guys something. Um, it, it was good. They have, you know, up in Cleveland, the Sports Time Show, and I decided to, I've called a couple times, but... You're Tony known for Rose, that. He used to be the 
editor, you know, on sports, the Browns and stuff. I got a chance to talk to Jimmy, Doug, and Tony last night, you know, about the Browns. Is Tony back from suspension? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's glad I called it. He, they, they always say, hey, Dick, Doug says, he says, we've got more fans in southwest Ohio. He says, I think maybe you've, you've got the party going down there, buddy. You're leading the way. You're always the face of the party, man. You're always the life of the party. We always like that about you. But hey, Dickie, we are out of time, unfortunately. You're gonna have to call back tomorrow after the Reds. I have a one zero lead over yeah, the Braves. Yeah, I'll work tomorrow, but I'll call you know next week. We'll keep. I'll keep in touch. All right, sounds good. Great hearing from you. Yeah, good. I'll see you. See ya. Later. See ya, Bob. All right, he forgot to tell Tim bye. Tim. All right. How about this tonight? The big debates tonight. Ooh. The big showdown. Smoke in the city. Donald Trump. Biden. Matchup of the century. I'm going to be playing a little drinking game tonight. Every time Biden loses his train of thought, I'm going to take a little sip. All right? Every time Trump laughs at Biden, take another sip. Oh, you're going to be drunk. Every time Trump says huge, take another sip. All right? Every time Biden says an inaccurate COVID fact, take a sip. I haven't even got to what it takes for me to take a shot. Oh, boy. And I'm mad that we don't have time. But I'm not going to lie. Take, take politics out of this. Folks, I'm telling you, I am so entertained by these debates. Like the Hillary-Trump debates, nothing will, will beat those. Like the memes and everything that came after those, nothing will beat that. I mean, I have a feeling tonight could be for some good stuff. People take politics too serious. If you want to be like that, fine. I have fun with it. it. It provides some good some good comedy for me. And I have a feeling tonight's going to be pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Buckle up. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, Comedy Central, there's that dang thing. They're doing that thing. It's about to explode. Comedy Central, Saturday Night Live, they live for this stuff. They live for this stuff because right now they, they need some fresh content. And that's what tonight's going to provide. So, there you go. Give me my damn stimulus check, would you? All right, folks, have a great night. We'll do this again tomorrow. By the time we're talking tomorrow, the Reds will be up one nothing over the Atlanta Braves. Reds, Braves, NL Wild Card Series, game one tomorrow. First pitch at noon, pregame at 1130. Don't miss a second of the action right here on Dayton's Home of the Reds, 1410 ESPN Radio. Talk to you tomorrow. Take care.